Call this meeting to order at 5.09 p.m. Clerk, can you please take roll call for attendance? Yes, on the call to roll, Commissioner Wong? Present. Commissioner Wong present. Uh, Commissioner Adair? Present. Commissioner Adair present. Uh, Commissioner Loftus? Commissioner Loft is present. Commissioner Miller? Present. Commissioner Miller present. Officer Lasana? Present. Officer Lasana present. Uh, Commissioner Anish? Present. Commissioner Anish present. Uh, Officer Udding? Present. Officer Udding present. Commissioner Colleen? Present. Commissioner Colleen present. Commissioner Pimentel? Present. Commissioner Pimentel present. Vice Chair Barker Plummer? Present. Marshall Burton Plummer present. Officer Hum? Absent. Officer Shaw? Okay. Absent. Uh, Commissioner M? Present. Commissioner M present. Uh, Commissioner Hillman? Absent. Oh, we can Uh, Chair Wynn? Present. Chair Wynn present. Okay. Okay, so you have 12 present with uh, three absent. Um, so it looks like commissioners Hum, Shaw, and Hillman are all absent. Um, staff, did any of these commissioners give us notice? Um, I know that Officer Shaw will be a few minutes late due to a doctor's appointment, and she will be joining virtually. Um, and I know uh, Commissioner Hillman is. Okay. Um, do I have any motions to excuse? Commissioner yes, was it 72 hours? For Commissioner Shaw, I think so. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Motion to excuse. Um, Shaw can check all men. Any seconds? Second. Commissioner Colleen, motions to excuse Commissioner Shaw and Hillman, seconded by Commissioner Wong. Is there any discussion on this motion? Okay. So, do we know it's Commissioner Holman is on this way? He's here. I think he just had oh, okay. yeah. Oh, oh, he is here. Hello. Um, so, I'm looking to excuse Commissioner Shaw. I amend my motion to only. Um, Excuse me. Okay, I mean, sure. You, you, you know, go on the, the, the audience on the Okay. Okay, is there any public comment on this motion? Okay, um, if members of the public would like to speak and have not done so, please press star three or raise your hand in the app. I don't, I don't think you have uh, public comment. Um, Clerk, can you please take a roll call on that motion? Yeah, the motion to excuse uh, Commissioner Shaw, Commissioner Wong. Uh, 
Commissioner Wong, aye. Commissioner Adair? Aye. Commissioner Adair, aye. Uh, Commissioner uh, Loftus? Aye. Commissioner Loftus, aye. Uh, Commissioner Miller? Aye. Commissioner Miller, aye. Uh, Officer Lasana? Aye. Officer Lasana, aye. Commissioner Anish? Aye. Commissioner Anish? Aye. Officer Udding? Aye. Officer Udding, aye. Uh, Commissioner Colleen? Aye. Commissioner Colleen, aye. Uh, Commissioner Pimentel? Aye. Commissioner Pimentel, aye. Vice Chair Barker Plummer? Aye. Vice Chair Barker Plummer, aye. Officer Han is absent. Uh, Officer Shaw is absent. Uh, Commissioner M? Aye. Commissioner M, aye. Commissioner Hillman? Aye. Commissioner Hillman, aye. And then Chair Wynn? Chair Wynn, aye. Uh, Chair, you have 13 eyes with two absent. Great, thank you. Clerk, can you call item number two? Yes, item number two is communications. The minutes will reflect that the Youth Commission participated in the meeting. In this meeting in person with remote access, the Commission recognizes that public access to city services is essential and invite public participation in the following ways. First, public comment will be available on each item on this agenda. Comments or opportunities to speak during public comment period are available via phone call by calling 415. 655-001, meeting ID 2484-719-2398, pound and then pound again, or you can join us online via the WebEx system. When connected, you'll hear the meeting discussion, but you'll be muted in listening mode only. When your item of interest comes up, please dial star three to be added to the speaker line if you called in, or if you're joining us via WebEx, you may also raise your hand in the app. Alternatively, you may submit public comment in, in the either of the following ways, email them to youth commission at y-o-u-t-h-c-o-m at sfgov.org. If you submit public comment via email, it will be forwarded to the commissioners and will be included as part of the official file. You may also send your in comments via US Postal Service to our office at City Hall at 1 Dr. Carlton B. Goodlit Place, Room 345, San Francisco, California, 94102. Those, meeting, those attending the meeting in person will, be, will have the opportunity to speak in public comment first before remote access. That concludes my communications. Thank you, Clerk. Can you please call item number three? Item number three is approval of the agenda. Commissioners, please take this time to look over today's agenda. As a reminder, there's an expectation that everyone looks at the agenda prior to the meeting and all accept any motion for the number. Commissioner Utting motions to approve today's agenda, seconded by Commissioner Believe. Is there any discussion on this motion? Seeing none, is there any comment? Um, if members of the public would like to speak, uh, please press star three or raise your hand in the WebEx app. Uh, Chair, you have no public comment. Great. But can you please take a roll call vote on that motion? On the motion to approve today's agenda, uh, Commissioner Wong? Aye. Commissioner Wong, aye. Commissioner Adair? Aye. Commissioner Adair, aye. Commissioner Loftus? Aye. Commissioner Loftus, aye. Commissioner Miller? Aye. Commissioner Miller, aye. Officer Lasana? Aye. Officer Lasana, aye. Commissioner Anish? Aye. Commissioner Anish, aye. Officer Udding? Aye. Officer Udding, aye. Commissioner Colleen? Aye. Commissioner Colleen, aye. Commissioner Pimentel? Aye. Commissioner Pimentel, aye. Vice Chair Barker Plummer? Aye. Vice Chair Barker Plummer, aye. Officer Hum is absent. Uh, Officer Shaw? 
absent. Uh, Commissioner M. Aye. Commissioner M. Aye. Commissioner Hillman. Aye. Commissioner Hillman. Aye. And then Chair Wynn. <coughs> Chair Wynn. Aye. Chair, you have 13 ayes and two absents. The motion passes. Great. Thank you. Clerk, can you please call item number four? Yes, item number four is uh, approval of the minutes of the February 13th, 2023 full youth commission meeting. Okay, commissioners, please take this time to look over the minutes and then I'll accept any motions when you guys pray. Motion to approve the minutes. Seconded. Commissioner Colleen, motions to approve the minutes, seconded by Commissioner Margaret Plummer. Um, is there any discussion on this motion? Seeing none, is there any public comment? Um, if members of the public would like to speak, please press star three, raise your hand in the WebEx app. Uh, Chair, you have no public comment. Thank you. Um, staff, can you please take a roll call vote? Yes, on the motion to approve the minutes, uh, Commissioner Wong? Aye. Commissioner Wong, aye. Commissioner Adair? Aye. Commissioner Adair, aye. Commissioner Loftus? Aye. Commissioner Loftus, aye. Commissioner Miller? Aye. Commissioner Miller, aye. Officer Lasana? Officer Lasana, aye. Commissioner Anish? Aye. Commissioner Anish, aye. Officer Udding? Aye. Officer Udding, aye. Uh, Commissioner Colleen? Aye. Commissioner Colleen, aye. Commissioner Pimentel? Aye. Commissioner Pimentel, aye. Vice Chair Barker Plummer? Aye. Vice Chair Barker Plummer, aye. Officer Hung is absent. Um, Officer Shaw is absent. Uh, Commissioner M? Aye. Commissioner M, aye. Commissioner Hillman? Aye. Commissioner Hillman, I, Chair Wynn. Aye. Chair Wynn, aye. Chair, you have 13 ayes and then two absent. Great, thank you. Please call item number five. Yes, item number five is general public comment for matters under the jurisdiction of the full youth commission, but not on today's agenda. Members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this matter should start to line up and or press star three now if you're calling in remotely. Or if you're joining us via WebEx, you should raise your hand in the app. Your cue to begin your comments will be you have been unmuted if you've called in, or you will hear two beeps if you join the meeting via WebEx. Okay, uh, Chair Wynn, you have no speakers. Thank you. Public comment is now closed. Clerk, can you please call item number six? Yes, item number six is presentations. Uh, we have the Juvenile Probation Department, the Human Services Agency, a board of supervisors, a budget chair instructions, and then the San Francisco Bike Coalition. Okay, great, thank you. So it looks like our first presentation is the um, budget chair instructions by the board of supervisors. Well, no, it's the uh, juvenile probation department. We had a switch. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. And um, I'll fix the facilitator guide for you. Okay. Um, so whenever you guys are ready, and also, we'll be timing the presentation so that there's 10 minutes to present and 10 minutes for questioning. Um, is that enough time for you guys? For Veronica? One second, let me unmute her. Okay. Hello. Hi, good afternoon, uh, commissioners. Um, yes, I think 10 minutes um, will be enough. Could you hear me? Yes. Yes, we can hear okay. you. I just pulled up your presentation. Yes, thank you. Um, so I'll get started. Um, first, let me um, introduce myself. Veronica Martinez is um, my name and the Director of Finance with the Juvenile Probation Department. And today I'm going to have an abbreviated version of the presentation that we 
um, um, gave to our own Juvenile Probation Commission a couple of weeks ago. And the reason why it is reduced for um, this audience for you is to accommodate the 10 minutes, <clears throat> excuse me, the 10 minutes limit. Um, so we can go to the next slide. This is our uh, fiscal year 22-23 and fiscal year 24-25 uh, proposal budget that we just submitted to the uh, controller and the mayor's office um, about 20 minutes ago. Uh, so first, we just want to give some, uh, I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with this, but um, mayor's, over, um, mayor's brief overview of the financial situation um, with the, um, in the city, and she's forecasting $728 million deficit over the next two budget cycles, uh, with the key driver for it uh, being the weakening revenue outlook and loss of federal revenue. Um, and you can uh, go to the next slide, please. Uh, <clears throat> then I wanted to also mention, we wanted to mention um, the priorities that the mayor presented uh, to us, which continue to be uh, improving public safety and street conditions and reduce homelessness and transform mental health services. Uh, but to me, to, um, yeah, to meet, to close that gap of that forecasted um, um, deficit, uh, the mayor re uh, mandated that every department makes necessary reductions to, um, you know, to close that gap. And so for us, for the juvenile probation um, department, the reduction is in the first fiscal year, 23-24, we are to reduce $1.4 million. And in the second year, um, is uh, $2.2 million. It's not an additional $2.2 million. It's um, just 3% above the $1.4 million that we reduced for the first fiscal year. And we, the budget that we submitted 20 minutes ago made both reductions for each one of those years. Uh, you can go to the next slide, please. <clears throat> And then uh, for our commission, we presented a very abbreviated version of the process, which again, I imagine you're familiar with it, but um, we um, had our two presentations in the month, public presentations in the month of um, January and February, and then today we presented our budget, and now um, we start conversations and negotiations with the mayor's office, and the mayor presents her budget uh, for the city, the entire city, on um, June 1st. And then we start negotiations with the board of supervisors, and ultimately the mayor is signed. Excuse me, the, the mayor signs the budget um, in July. And next slide, please. Um, I won't read over these, but I wanted to present them to you so you can, uh, I imagine this presentation will be made available to all of you so you can read them um, uh, at, with your time. Uh, but these are our six, this and the next slide are our six departmental goals, and these goals were um, designed and developed with the support of our commission. Um, our staff and our conversation with our stakeholders, community-based organizations, and families and such. So this and the next slide you can um, um, pass. And uh, if you have any questions, uh, I'm happy to answer them. But um, I thought it's better if, if you read them uh, on your time. Uh, if we go to the next slide, please. Um, 
just a little bit uh, on the budget framework for um, for juvenile probation department, which has been consistent uh, since 20 fiscal year 2021. Um, at that time, we started um, sort of the new administration uh, came on board uh, at the department, and the key priorities back then were comprehensive cleanup of the finances and the budget of the department, um, and responding to COVID-19, and also right-sizing the department. And so uh, in 2020 and 2021, those submissions were the, um, the lowest budget submission since fiscal year 13 and 14. Uh, there were a great number of vacant positions that were eliminated, um, coming to then the department having the, lo having the lowest SPE in decades. Um, and then a significant um, investment in community-based organizations via the Department of Children, Youth, and Their Families. And so this $9 million in that slide represents, uh, at that time, the amount uh, that was work ordered to DCYF to pass to uh, CBOs um, to then serve the young uh, people in our care and also the young people at risk of um, becoming impacted or in contact with the juvenile system, juvenile justice system. Next slide, please. Uh, continuing on the following year or this year that we are on right now, we continue to do this budget cleanup, uh, continue to respond to the COVID-19, and in this budget, um, that we are, you know, living right now, uh, we still eliminated some positions. Uh, but uh, something else that we did in this budget cycle is that we shift, shifted focus from right sizing to right structure. And so we started absorbing new responsibilities that came to us from the state, uh, specifically the um, juvenile justice, the division of juvenile justice uh, realignment, realigning some of the uh, state um, excuse me, state functions, sending them back to the counties. And so affecting this transformation and advanced, advancing racial equity, that's been the focus of this current uh, fiscal year. And so um, let's see, we uh, continue to invest in community-based organizations, and we also converted some vacant positions on probation services, uh, some probation officer positions, those were converted uh, to um, one is became a social work supervisor, a DEI, this is um, diversity, equity, and inclusion manager, a training officer, and a youth justice transformation coordinator. So as you can see, this is a lot of um, shifting things around, uh, but no reducing. And that is what happened this year. Uh, with all those changes that we did in this year, um, in this year's budget, we anticipated or we, our intent was at this point we're going to be uh, properly staffed uh, with the right, the right set of skills and the right um, classification uh, to meet our operational um, responsibilities. And so if you move, and all of this is important because when now we come to this fiscal 24 and 25, the proposals that we um, are making, um, it continues with those same priorities, but then you won't see a lot of change or reductions on our budget in spite of uh, the mandated reductions that we receive from the mayor. 
um, because we're focusing on the implementation of the budgets that, and the budget changes that we set up in the prior two years. And also we are um, uh, changing the way how we fund and how we use our state grants. And I'll speak more of that in just a moment. But um, yes, and then the, before I tell you more about our budget proposal for these uh, two coming years, a little bit about the juvenile justice landscape uh, for the city and the county. Um, you may be aware of the Closed Juvenile Hall Working Group and Blue Ribble Panel, which was um, um, implementing collaborative to, they basically want to, the proposal is to shift and to change the way how juvenile justice um, operates in San Francisco. Um, then, as I mentioned a moment earlier, there is the implementation of the um, Division of Juvenile Justice Realignment Plan. The, every county had to present one, and we presented ours um, two years ago. And as part of that plan, um, we, again, the city, uh, in a committee such as, uh, like, like your commission, but a committee specifically dedicated to think about uh, juvenile justice and how to handle and how to approach this realignment, um, they um, decided to shift uh, to focus all the funding on direct, mostly direct services for uh, the young people impacted by this realignment. And then um, the other important thing to mention about the justice, juvenile justice landscape is uh, we need to address increasing referrals, caseloads, and admissions. And then a slide just shows that uh, the increase on that. And I think that's, that's important. And it also reflects why we can now, um, you know, make significant reductions at this time. If you go to the next slide, did I go already over my 10 minutes? Goodness. It has been 10 minutes, so. <clears throat> I am so sorry. But I, um, if I could in three minutes then just give you the budget presentation, I mean the, the part of the budget, I'm so sorry. I thought I was doing well on time. This slide briefly just mentioned how we have seen an increase on um, admissions to, um, to our facility and also to the referrals. Um, Okay. And again, this will be made available to you, I think, so you can always yes. uh, contact me if you have any questions or comments. About the budget, um, if we go to the budget, and I'll be, I promise to be as quick as possible. This is a snapshot of our entire budget, and I'm going to break this down in the next three slides. So I'll do that. Um, first, I'm going to tell you about the sources, meaning what fits our budget, what are our revenues. And so the biggest part of it is general fund and that you see at the bottom, um, in the bottom line in the table. Uh, but then we also have a very significant um, intergovernmental inter state funding. These are grants uh, or state apportionments that come to every county in California to complete the functions of juvenile uh, probation. And then in the box to the, um, to the right, you see how much the city and how much we get for each one of those state apportionments. Um, another significant uh, revenue source is titled for e reimbursements, and um, and then this year we have a few inter a couple of intergovernmental one-time state grants, and so um, those are the uh, the amounts and the the. In the boxes, you see more detail on that. You can ask me questions about that. Um, if you go to the next slide, 
this just gives you a visual of the table that I just presented uh, a moment ago. And you see the biggest bucket ends up being the general fund, um, but then you also see um, the other funds that we have, state and federal grants. Uh, this, the next, the next slide is the new, the two um, new one-time grants that we are receiving this year. So because they're new, um, we highlighted them out here, and also because they're one-time, we won't see this coming in the fiscal year 24-25. Um, if you go down, then now we're going to, I want to tell you about the uses. This is how we use um, the funding that we have. Overall, between the $30 million from general fund and the added um, state uh, revenue, uh, most of the, um, the funding, um, it is how we use it, it is highlighted in the three boxes at the bottom, uh, non-personnel costs because about 20, I think exactly 20 years ago, um, the juvenile hall was replaced. And so we, 20 years later, we're still paying for that. So our biggest, aside from uh, personnel costs, our biggest expenditure in the department is this juvenile hall replacement debt payment. Every year we pay $2.5 million on it. Um, and then I think I just highlight here what is included on, on those expenditures, um, if, aside from salaries and fringes, which are usually the biggest, and it's in the case of our department, the biggest line item. Uh, if you go down to the, um, the next slide, we have um, a number of divisions how our department is, is distributed. We have a community um, general, juvenile hall, and SYTF. SYTF is secure youth track facility, and this is the, the setting that we need for our realign young people that are coming, um, that are, um, instead of going to the state DJJ, they're coming, they're staying here in San Francisco. And probation services. And what's new in this submission is that we created a new, a new division community investments, um, and that is where we're going to allocate all of the money, all of the funding that we give to DCYF to pass to the community-based organizations to provide services for the young people in San Francisco who we work with. Um, and then the next slide is a visual of the same table I just showed you, so we can uh, go down to the next um, slide. Uh, and this is just um, how we made our reduction. So somehow we made our reduction without eliminating positions and without making drastic changes. So the reason how we did this is we moved 80 uh, almost a million dollars of personal costs, we move them to special revenues. We are charging several positions uh, that pre prior were charged to general fund, we're using our state grants to fund those positions. And that's one of the main, that's kind of like, that was our strategy this year. Without, because we couldn't make any reductions, we have been making so many reductions in the past two years that we had to just reprioritize how we use our, um, our state grants. And even after doing that, we still allocate uh, $5.8 million in investment uh, in community-based services, which uh, this is through this new division of community investment, and all that funding goes mostly to DCYF. And um, this is aligned with uh, the department's vision, with the commission, and with the city goals of vision, um, all of our visions and priorities. The next slide, please. 
Um, um, this is um, our, our chart. It's always uh, helpful to see. So if you have, um, this includes both sworn officers and sworn staff and all of the administrative and all of the support. We have social workers in our staff. We have um, counselors. So if, if you have any questions, you can ask me. And then the next one, let's see what's the next slide. Um, this is a list of all of the community investments we are funding this year through DCYF. So DCYF serves, we fund, we give the money to DCYF via work order and then they do uh, RSPs and they award the funding to all of these agencies. Um, this funding will continue in the next year and these programs will continue and likely uh, new programs will be added on. Uh, and I think that maybe it, I am so sorry that I went six minutes over. Sorry. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much, Director Martinez, for coming and speaking to us today. Um, I'll open it up to commissioners if you guys have any questions. You have 10 minutes. I can start us off um, with one. So I know you talked about um, AB 178, which was the $9.6 million grant that California received. Um, we worked on a, a budget and policy priority asking and urging for people to accept the grant um, because we know that people haven't like officially claimed it yet. Do you know like why no one has claimed the grant yet? And, like which department would be in charge of claiming that? Is this the, let me see, is this a $1 million grant? Um, yes. So that, that is a specific grant for the 78. That is specifically to, um, we're supposed to use that grant for uh, capital projects or, and, um, I don't want to say enhancements, but it's more like uh, remodeling or working with the, for work to be done at the juvenile justice facility. Uh, and this is in response or it's linked to that realignment of the functions from DJJ. So that, um, and the point is to make the, uh, the facility more, uh, I, th I want to say like family friendly or more like to address particular needs that facilities have that that they're not right now meeting the needs of older young people who have to be um, in our custody. Uh, so that funding in particular is not going to go to any other department. It will, um, it, it will, we, the department will use it uh, to make those changes and, and enhancements to the facilities. Was that your question, uh, uh, Chair? Yes, yeah, that answers my question. Um, it's it's a little muffled. It's it's kind of hard to hear. Did you say that um, your department was in charge of facilitating that grant? Yes, yes. And I'm sorry about the sound. Um, I'm having a similar experience also. Um, but yes, the, the, that grant will be uh, facilitated, meaning it will be spent and distributed through JPD, through juvenile probation. Mm -hmm. right. And we'll likely have to work with public works because it's capital projects, improvements, so we'll have to work with um, the Department of Public Works. Do you guys know when you're going to begin using that grant? Yeah? Uh, in the next year or so, uh, after July. So I want to say year, fiscal year, in the fiscal year. 
Thank you. Does anyone else question? Um, sorry. Um, what is exactly is gonna be is the grant gonna be used? Are there like certain programs or ideas that um have already been like discussed? For this particular $1 million, we haven't gone uh, very deep in the discussion, but we know that we it's not going to be program per se, it's going to be improvements to the facility. So for example, one of the ideas that we have um, touched on is making the units where the young people live, uh, making it more like, um, like college friendly. Like I, One term that is used is softening, softening the environment. So having more uh, like a college campus or dorm type of um, vibe or environment than than the more rigid and you know uh, uh, yeah more rigid and austere uh, setting that they may have right now. So that funding is going to be used for those sort of things, uh, making the um, the units nicer. Um, uh, getting uh, better and friendlier furniture, uh, uh, making the visitation rooms, having all of the supplies and equipment that we may need for like young people, uh, like children, sometimes they come and visit their loved ones. And so making sure that all those spaces are very well equipped to receive those sort of visits. Um, and so in terms of programming, because we are also having to do uh, and wanting to do different programming for uh, to address the different needs and levels of the young people in the in the facility in the hall then again uh, equipping equipment sorry outfitting those units so that they have um, that that vibe thank you any other questions Um, just to clarify on the grant, is can the grant only be used for the uh, current juvenile justice center, or could it be used for potential new centers if they were to open? No, it's supposed to be used uh, for the existing centers. So only counties in California that have a facility already in place, those were the only counties that received funding. If we didn't have the whole, we would have not received anything. And the purpose of it was um, the state realized we're sending um, a number of young people to your care, and you may not have been ready for it because these young people are older and they're staying longer space, they're staying longer periods of time with us. And so we're going to send you this allocation so that you address some of these immediate needs that the counties were um, mentioning that we needed. Uh, and also, I think it's important to uh, recognize that for facilities improvements to uh, to fix and to remodel facilities and units, one million dollar is not a lot of money. So, but it, I think it was good to for the state to recognize that yes, we assign all these new functions to all the counties, and we're hearing you that the facilities you have right now are not the best and most appropriate to hold these young people for long periods of time. <clears throat> Are there any other questions? 
I was wondering if you had a specific ask for the youth commission. Um, we're currently working on our budget and policy priorities right now. And a lot of the things you say align with what we believe in, but is there anything specific that you'd like to highlight? Um, this is, could you repeat the question, please? If we have something to highlight. Mm -hmm. Is there anything specific you want us to help advocate for in our budget and policy proposals? I think, yes, support to, um, I mean, continue your support to the partnerships that we see with, um, between departments, like, for example, we partner um, very heavily with DCYF to fund, uh, we, we uh, accept DCYF as the, uh, and see them as the expert in grant making and uh, supporting um, the CBOs in doing those services, in delivering those services to the young people. So supporting that partnership um, and I think um, encouraging other departments um, to to kind of like follow that model um, is something that um, we would like to highlight. We have, the, the reason why this partnership is so strong um, is not only we see the benefits of working together, but is in response to everything that we're hearing from our own commission, from the community-based organizations themselves, and the, for the constituents, uh, the families, and the young people uh, on the RCA. Great. Thank you. Uh, we have one quick question. Um, so California passed uh, Senate Bill 823 in, uh, I think, 2021, 2022 last year, and it said that they gave $9.6 million to every county California um, for the new population of youth um, that would be sent to the cities. So did San Francisco not receive that one-time grant? They only received one million? No, we did receive in, so this will be the third year of the grant or of the realignment. Uh, and so in the, this year we are, let me see, I want to tell you exactly the amount uh, which is on page 17, yes, on page 17 of the presentation when you get it, um, it is called Juvenile Justice Realignment Block Grant. This year we are getting $2.7 million. And last year we got a little under $2 million. And the prior year, which was year one, we got um, about $800,000. And so that is continuing, and it depends. Um, it comes on, um, it's, it's slide 17. If you go up a couple of slides, um, so it's a formula. And based on a formula and the population of the state and the, and the county, and we, we get our allocation. Go one up. One, that's 18. If you go to 17, in the blue box, um, there it says Juvenile Justice Realignment Block Grant, JJRBG. This year we're receiving $2.7 million. Related to that is that one-time funding of one year, which is specifically for uh, facilities improvement. Um, but we do expect in the next year, in fiscal year 24-25, to receive again uh, close to or around $2.7 million. Okay. And, the, and that is the funding that we've been using to um, the DJJ uh, subcommittee. Uh, they decided that the, the way they wanted to spend that money was uh, giving it to community-based organizations. And we use DCYF. We partnered with DCYF to, to pass the funding. Thank you. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Thank you for answering our many questions. Um, 
We'll close questioning for now because we're running over time, but thank you so much director Martinez for coming and speaking to us again. Um, we'll be sure to reach out if we have any other questions and maybe we can send you a copy of our BPP as well. Um, but yeah, thank you. Mm -hmm. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you all for the invitation and yeah, please reach out with questions or if you have any suggestions uh, and uh, with any documents that you'd like us to review also, we'll be happy to. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and then for the next presentation, are we going to do the budget chair one? No, it's the human um, services agency. It's um, director Kaplan. Yeah. One second. Can you make so so we uh, a panel as well? I didn't mute the call. I did. Is Genevieve? Okay. Um, are y'all on? Yes, they're on. Oh, you're you're muted, Dan. Dan, you're muted. Now, can you hear me? Yes. Yes. Um, do y'all have a presentation? Like, um, who will be presenting? We Is do. I. I can share content and then my coworker Celia Pedrosa is also on. Let me try sharing. If I just click on the share button. Yes, one second. I just passed um, sharing privileges to you. Okay. And then this is great. Okay. Oh, one second. Okay. Oops. What are you seeing my presentation? Uh yes we are. Okay, great. So why don't I get started? I am Dan Kaplan. I am the deputy director for administration at the HSA. Um and with me today is Celia Pedrosa, who is our budget director. Um, so, first of all, let me just talk a moment about what HSA does. Um, we are we also uh, wait really quick heads up. You have ten minutes to present, um, and we'll be timing you. So just just didn't want to throw you off when the alarm goes off. But yeah, thank you. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. So we're two departments within one. So Disability and Aging Services is a part of our agency and Benefits and Family Services is the other part. And both are supported by what we call HSA administration, which does budget work for both HR facilities, IT, et cetera. Um, as the previous speaker said the mayor's budget instructions called for a 5% and an 8% reduction in uh, discretionary general fund costs. For HSA, that turns out to be $2 million in the first year. And, um, and we met that primarily with new revenues. So, let me describe, I'm going to focus on the benefits and family services budget and the HSA budget as opposed to the disability and aging services budget. 
I made a judgment that those would contain more of the programs that you'd be more interested in. But if you want to ask about disability and aging services, I'd be happy to talk about that as well. So within, um, within benefits and family services, we have a number of program areas. Workforce development is about helping people get ready to enter the workforce and helping them actually enter the workforce. SF Benefits Net is about Medi-Cal and CalFresh eligibility. SFBN Operations supports the SF Benefits Net program. Family and Children's Services runs the child welfare system, um, including foster care and adoptions assistance. CAP is a county assistance program. Every county is required to have a general assistance program. Um, they're all a little bit different, and every county can set its own rules. In San Francisco, we have the County Adult Assistance Program, which provides monthly grants to indigent adults without children. Um, CalWORKs Child Care, I should talk about CalWORKs first. The CalWORKs Program uh, is a program that provides aid to low-income families um, and provides employment services, provides childcare for people who are getting those employment services. And then the last area is program support. And when I said before that HSA administration supported the two, aid, the two departments, program support is the name that we use for HSA administration. So if we look at the budget by source, what you can see is that we have federal and state revenues. We have general assistance. We have general uh, fund operating dollars and aid dollars. We have something that we call care not cash transfer, which is a kind of a complicated program. And given that we don't have a great deal of time, I won't talk about it in any depth, but it is money that we send to the Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing to support uh, housing for CAP clients. Um, and, uh, and then we have these buckets called 2011 realignment, 2011 realignment, AB 85, and 1991 realignment. Um, the previous speaker spoke about realignment in the juvenile probation the system, system that was part of 2011 realignment. The realignment laws um, essentially provided a revenue source to counties to deliver a broad array of services, social services among them. Um, so 1991 realignment supports a raft of programs in our agency, including CalWORKs, Medi-Cal, CalFresh, and uh, child welfare programs. 2011 realignment supports child welfare programs and on the DAS side of our agency, adult protective services programs. Um, and 2011 AB85 aid provides money for what would have been the state share of CalWORKs grants. So, whoop. There we go. Let's not. I guess we're not going to talk about this one terribly much. Can you can you see the uh, the labels on it? Yeah, only one of them, not the rest. Sa salaries, I can see too. Okay. <laughs> there we go. There we go. So. Um, 
So we also break our budget into category of expenditure. And as you can see, a large share of our um, budget is for salaries. Um, we have between the two departments about 2,400 FTE, about 2,000 of them are on the HSA BFS side of the department. Um, this, uh, hang on. This orange uh, wedge is really should be labeled fringe benefits. So that's obviously employee compensation. Professional services are services that we buy from a large number of providers who are mainly for profit providers. And so there are things like IT support and um, and uh, rent and things like that go into that bucket. Um, aid assistance is money that we spend for things like subsidized wages for people in our welfare to work program. Aid payments are the dollars that we spend in CAP grants and CalWORK grants um, and the money that we send to uh, foster care and adoptions assistance recipients. Um, CBO grants are uh, dollars that we spend with uh, community-based organizations who provide services directly to our clients. Uh, they are primarily on the child welfare side, and we fund lots of preventive services through our CBO partners and in our welfare-to-work programs where we have many job readiness programs delivered by our CBO partners. So these are our major areas. Um, I wanted to highlight a few specific programs which are relatively new in this budget. Um, the Guaranteed Income Pilot Project is an interesting program, and it, um, it follows a California law from, I think, two sessions ago um, that provided state money to support pilot programs and guaranteed income. Guaranteed income as I should, shouldn't assume you, you know, but is um, a form of aid that is really um, directed towards providing no strings attached economic support uh, to people. Um, mm -hmm. You know, in some forms, it's to everyone in the society. Uh, in most places where it's been tested, it's to low-income individuals. And the California pilot program focuses on uh, either people who are pregnant or or people who are coming out of the foster care system. And in our version of this, it's focused on people who are coming out of the uh, foster care system. Um, so that's going to kick off next fiscal year, starting in July, if everything goes well. And we have money to provide cash payments of $1,200 a month to 150 uh, foster former foster youth. And as you can see, the purpose is to disrupt poverty and advance equity. Uh, but the purpose of the pilot is to really learn about the effectiveness of the uh, guaranteed income method of providing uh, support. Um, housing services for transitional age youth is also a big issue for us because we run the foster care system. Um, we are very concerned with people graduating, quote unquote, from the foster care system um, and, and then not having housing. And so there are a number of small programs that provide housing support 
uh, to people who are leaving the foster care system, which happens in California at the age of 21. Um, that's another area that we've got some additional money from the uh, depart the State Department of Housing and Community Development to support spots for. Um, we also are running programs in employment services for youth. So there's the um, the student work experience or SWEP program, which focuses on summer work for youth who are CalWORKs eligible or in the foster care system. And then there's the youth uh, employment services, which focuses on providing support to uh, young people in transitional age youth. Excuse me, sorry, your time is up. Uh, are you almost finished with the presentation? We can give you like two more minutes if that's okay. It's okay with me. Um, we're also um, about to uh, enter into a mobile eligibility pilot. Outreach is a big issue for us. And um, we are always looking for ways to do a better job at helping people who are or should be eligible for our programs actually get the benefits of our programs. So what we're doing in this is we are uh, going to outfit a, uh, a, van, a mobile uh, eligibility office. Um, we are also expanding our diaper bank program, which provides free diapers to people who are eligible for other HSA programs and have children under the age of three. So I'm going to stop there. Um, this last slide focuses on our schedule for making a budget. This is something I'm sure you're familiar with, and I would be happy to take questions. Great. Thank you so much for presenting to us, Jim. Yeah, uh, well, thank you for presenting to us. You know, uh, agency provides a lot of important services. Um, and I think that yeah, both them are in city government, so I appreciate the work that you all are doing um, on this. I wanted to ask um, what kind of, so for the Guaranteed Income Program, um, as well as the Tay Housing Program, I'm wondering, what kind of metrics you're using to uh, to see the success of those programs, and like from there, what you think the next steps are? Like, if we should expand there, if you get um, if that's something that you guys are looking at. Right. So the guaranteed income program is still having its um, evaluation component designed. <clears throat> Excuse me, but but the sort of things that we will be focused on, I'm sure, will be around whether people. Um, move to greater economic self-sufficiency, whether they remain housed, whether they either successfully move into the workforce or successfully pursue education. So it'll be those kinds of measures. Um, and that's partly because of the focus of the particular population that, that we are going to serve through this. Um, housing for transitional age use is in some way, in some ways similar. I mean, the, the goal here is to help people stay housed um, during that period of time when they're just out of the foster care system while they are getting their feet under them. And so the sort of metrics that are important here are do people transition to self-sufficiency? And obviously housing is very important. If someone is in unstable housing, it's much more difficult to either pursue education or to, to hold a job uh, and progress in a job. So I, I think that the goals behind each of them are are similar that way. Thank you. Um, and then my only other 
to the question of like, how do we support um, what in turn would you all have the budgetary uh, your budgetary needs addressed? These are essential programs, I think, for San Francisco youth. Um, and you know, sort of what does that projection look like in terms with budget reductions that would make? Well, HSA was in a good place this year because our um, state funding from both a number of state allocations and from realignment revenues were relatively strong. Although the state also has a $22 billion deficit uh, in the governor's proposals, he did not focus reductions on human services programs. So our revenue situation remains pretty good. And as a result, we're able to um, reduce our discretionary general fund consumption by $2 million without cutting programs. Um, so we're in a good spot there. You know, I think obviously, um, I think it's, it's always good for us and for our programs to have people who are concerned with the budget um, be willing to say that they're important programs and they provide benefits to a broad array of people. In fact, ours do. We have over 200,000 clients. Um, so there are lots of San Franciscans who benefit in small and big ways from our programs. So, thank you. Oh, okay. Um, I had a question about the guaranteed income pilot program. I was wondering if you who receive those funds get any additional like financial training in addition to that. I'm say it again. Do the youth who receive oh. the Funds get any other financial training on how to handle money? It's a very um, perspicacious question. There's been a lot of discussion around it. So there are some people who feel like a guaranteed income program shouldn't come with any training um, because basically the notion that we're testing here is whether having the money allows individuals to buy things they need and therefore um make transitions in their lives that are that are better um the state has said you know money management skills are really important and that participants in the program should be sure to offer money management uh skills training to to people who are recipients of guaranteed income payments and so we are doing that um but it, it's it's actually a controversial area thank you yeah. Um, I had a question, um, like in regards to um, you mentioned, like um, doing like mobile outreach for. I think you mentioned like CalFresh and MediCal, which I think is like a great program, um, uh, like to be doing that outreach. But um, like, what other barriers are there to like people being like enrolled in these programs? Like, I know in the past the Youth Commission has like done a like a program where we had a BBP to like get people like state ID cards. Like, do these programs require like things like a like state ID or like, you know, social security, different like documents to sign up? Like do you see that yeah. as a barrier? So so documents are an issue for some people. Um, you know, I I think one we we wrestle with this. I mean I, I think we um, we actually look at the populations in San Francisco. We attempt to figure out where we think we're underserving. Um, California in general has not been brilliant on 
what we call the CalFresh penetration rate, which is, you know, comparing the number of recipients to the number of people who we believe from census data should be eligible for CalFresh. Um, so, so I think part of it is knowledge. Uh, part of it is that the application process is difficult. Part of it is that um, one has to keep renewing um, their eligibility over time, and it can be a lot to juggle for people. So we keep wrestling with ways to make it easier to apply for and stay on uh, benefits that one is eligible for. It, you know, to... From our point of view, it, it, it's important for individuals, right? Because we're talking about uh, dollars and support services on the CalWORK side. We're talking about dollars on the CalFresh side, and we're talking about medical insurance on the medical medical side, medical side. And so these are all things that are important for people to have as individuals. They're also important for a community, right? I mean, we don't we don't want people in the community to be poorer than they need to be. If we have eight dollars for them we want them to have that um so there's a lot of effort that goes into that it's not it's not like there's one thing i think you know helping people with documentation is certainly good but um you know helping people just through the process helping explain things is good being in accessible places is good so i think we have to work on all those things okay and I had another question, like, um, is there like a way, because you, you talked about like so many different like great like services, is there like a like centralized like place where people can like just like put in their information like one time and see like all of like the programs that they're eligible for? Or do they need to like individually apply, like figure out CalFresh and then figure out Medi-Cal and then figure out basic income or, you know? It just seems like it could be a lot of bureaucracy there. So I'm curious, like, if you're doing anything to, like, try to simplify that. Um, so we don't have the ability to do away with the separate applications because these are all separate. You know, the, the, one of the interesting things about social welfare programs is they are all federal, state, and local programs, and they're managed by different federal bureaucracies and, in some cases, different parts of the state, although most of ours, not all of ours, run through the Department of Social Services or the Department of Healthcare Services or the Department of Aging or Housing and Community Development. Um, but, you know, there there has been some conversation around kind of setting up not so much a universal application, but sort of a universal um, site that would allow someone to put in a certain set of information and get the response. You seem likely to be eligible for CalFresh and likely to be eligible for Medi-Cal and maybe likely to be eligible uh, for CalWORKs. We haven't, we haven't sort of gotten that uh, process up and running but but it it is a thing that's been discussed that's great yeah because I, I don't know i'm just looking at like your website right now and it's it's just very confusing like i, I clicked on the services tab and it says calworks ihss like i don't think most people just looking at that understand like what it's very confusing what those programs are who would like qualify 
So I don't know. It just seems like there would be like a lot to like click through for somebody who's looking. So yeah. it's I, I really hope that you do pursue that just to at least give people an idea of what they may qualify for. Right. Okay. Good suggestion. Good idea. Great. Are there any other questions, commissioners? If not, thank you so much for coming and speaking to us today. We really appreciate your time. Um, and we'll be sure to reach out if we have any more questions. But would you be able to email us the presentation slide deck so we can review it? After the of time? course. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, okay. Moving to our next presentation. I know, Francis, you're here. Are you ready to present? Yeah, absolutely. Actually, let me do you have a presentation. I wasn't sure if I could get one together, but I did. So um, if you email that, so, or do you want me to, I was just going to join the WebEx and then run the presentation off the laptop. I'm worried about Echo. <laughs> Sorry. Should we get the presenter? Um, sure. I just, there is some draft information on here, so I would be, next morning, it's Mark Draft. Okay, I will put it there. Don't look at my emails. <laughs> Not your 61 plus emails. So where would you like me to send this presentation? Do Alondra, please. Okay. Is it going to pop up on the top, Alondra? Yeah. Oh, actually, no. Go down. It's only after all of the. Okay, there. See, this is a perfect time for a bio break. Or a snack break. Or a snack break. There's snacks back there. Four minute recess. Or give me need a Give me need a recess. Come back soon. We're troubleshooting. Not <laughs> <laughs> I have lots of snacks in the office. You guys ever I heard your office. Yeah, we're right next door. I heard your office is love place. We think Natalie has contested that. I don't think that's possible. <laughs> Someone told me D1 always has a snack. I know, like D1 historically always has snacks. Oh, it says supervisor fewer. Yes. Yes, I do have to bake a little more often. I do not bake as much as Supervisor Fiore used to. But, yeah. I'm going to get the gavel to you, Commissioner Barker. Okay, come back soon. 616. You'll never see me. Oh. Oh, it's a commissioner. Yeah, that's what it's across the street. But it's on Octavia, right? Thank you for making a presentation. Yeah, yes. Required to, but like some of them are very visual learners. 
Yeah. That's what I was figuring. I, and luckily, there have been a few reports, so I was able to steal some slides um, so that I didn't have to create many of them from scratch. But. I may go through those quickly and just kind okay. of explain why they're part of this presentation. Hayden, I really liked your question. Oh, thank you. As a child who had to do all the applications for my parents, traumatizing. <laughs> yes, because then you've got to translate them into another language. And you don't even understand what they're saying. No, because it's like ridiculous. You have Piper. No. Every separate thing. Um, I'll go ahead and bring it back to Florida and hand it out back to Carolyn. Great. Um, so you're going to have 10 minutes to present and then we'll ask some questions. Great. Hopefully I don't take the full 10 minutes. Hello, everybody. Francis Shea. I am legislative aide for Supervisor Connie Chan, who is a District 1 supervisor, but also the chair of the Budget Committee here. Uh, the Board of Supervisors. And so um, I put together a, a slide deck to kind of just help support some of the things that I'm saying. Um, but also, I understand that you've had a presentation, had presentations before on the budget. Um, so some of these slides will look very familiar and you may have already seen them. But I think it's helpful for setting context 
about how we approach the budget and where you know supervisor chan is coming from and i think where the board of supervisors broadly is coming from so if we go to the first slide you'll see um which you may have seen sort of this breakout before but i think it's helpful for framing what the budget is so this is based on um two Fiscal year 2022 and 23, you know, as we all heard, it's a $14 billion budget. Um, but so everybody thinks, oh, wow, that's what the Board of Supervisors gets to work with. When it's not really true, um, about more than half the budget, or $7.2 billion, um, is comprised of enterprise departments. So those are departments that kind of generate their own revenue, um, places like the airport. The port, MTA, places that charge for their services and largely fund their department operations off of those services. Those are parts of the budget that are set that we are not going to touch. Um, and we're definitely not going to touch it this year. So that brings us to the other half of the budget, which is about $6.8 That's the general fund. And so when we are talking about this budget process and what we're looking at and the different departments, we're actually talking about general fund departments. So a little bit less than half of the city's budget is really what we look at during the budget process. Um, and these are just the broad public services that we all know about. Rec and Park, um, health, some of health, you know, not necessarily HSA, police and fire, public works. Um, Department of Children, Youth, and Their Families all fall within um, the general fund. And what you'll see on the left side with that pie chart is sort of kind of how our budget gets spent. You know, what are the biggest components of our budget? And as you'll see, one of the biggest parts is public works, transit. Um, the next is sort of human welfare and uh, you know, neighborhood development. So that is just broadly kind of the biggest chunks of, of our budget and, and um, the department. You'll often hear us talk about public safety, funding the cops, things like that. And um, as you'll see here, it's really only 12% of the city budget. So uh, you can see, you've probably also heard a lot that the budget is a moral document, right? What you fund um, says a lot about what you find that's important. So when we look at this, what we really see is very important, actually, is transit. It's public works, public services, um, human services. So even though it may not feel like it sometimes, when you look at our budget, that actually is where a lot of our funding goes and where the priority is. Um, these next several slides I think you've already seen, so we'll just go through them quickly. They just talk about the forecast. For this coming year, everybody's heard we're in a deficit, about $728 million. Uh, that's what we're looking at over the next two years. And so this is sort of what this graph is showing us. Um, we do constantly get updates. This is just a projection um, about what we think is going to happen over the next couple of years. So I think it's always important to think about the fact that this is a projection. It's an outlook. Um, we are using our best guesses, but it's just a guess. Um, and so we really do sometimes have to compare it to what's actually has happened to, to balance those two. And I will say that in the almost 20 years that I've worked in city government, we have always projected a deficit. 
Um, and more than half that time, actually much more, probably two thirds of that time, we've actually had a surplus at the end of the year. So, um, and then just moving to the next one, again, this is sort of from the five-year report that was just recently uh, released that talks about that budget deficit. It just kind of breaks it out year by year what they mean. So that 728 is when you add up the first two columns, which is this coming fiscal year and the next fiscal year. And if you look out at outlying year projections, they're basically saying we have a structural deficit of 250 million or 200 to 250 million. So you'll see in that first column, it's about 200 million. The next column, it's plus another 250. The third, it's about plus another 250. So what the projection is saying is that we are going to have this ongoing problem. Um, and the deficit comes because, you know, our, our revenue um, is not, our spending is outpacing our earning. That's why there's a deficit. And they're saying structurally, um, the controller believes that we are spending every year 250 million, approximately more than we bring in. And that is why it's sort of a structural deficit um, in his opinion. And this is, you will see where he's saying um, why our, our, our spending is outpacing our earning. Our earnings usually come from taxes. And uh, we have just where you see the minuses, the property tax, transfer tax, business tax, sales and hotel tax, those are kind of are where most of our money comes from, or a lot of it. And we're down in almost every category, and that's why we have a deficit. Um, so that's just sort of framing about the budget and the situation we're in. Um, you've probably also seen this next slide, which just talks about the budget timeline. And this kind of gets us into what do we do about it? Like, what is the board's role? What is the city's role? Um, and if you look at, um, this is most of the year, December through August, how the budget flows through the mayor and the board of supervisors could be broken into three general categories, and you'll see that in the white bar that's sort of near the bottom. There's a period of time where it's up to the departments to develop the budget and, um, and, and propose them. From there, it goes to the mayor um, and her, you know, uh, budget office kind of figuring out how they put together the budget and what it looks like. And then there's the final period where uh, the Board of Supervisors gets to review it. And so those are sort of the three phases of the budget. Um, December through February 21st is the first phase. That's where departments, they will have budget hearings. They'll go out and talk about their budget. They've gotten the mayor's budget instructions. And so they're trying to figure out sort of like that HSA presentation. Where is their money coming from? Where can they cut? Where can they augment? Um, and then they, they turn it over to the mayor's office. Like they're like, this is what we propose. Um, and so from mid-February all the way through the end of May, the mayor has a budget and she's trying to figure out, or, you know, he or she is trying to figure out what of these things are we gonna accept? What of these things are we gonna change? What of these things are we gonna shrink or grow in every single department? And they have many, many, many months to do that. And 
that's actually the public's opportunity to talk to him and say, you know, because like departments, they have some departments have like, you know, budget presentations. The mayor doesn't necessarily so, but you know, through the mayor's budget office, a lot of people can reach and lobby the mayor. And then, you know, end of May on June 1st, she has a pro the mayor has a proposed budget that they present to the board of supervisors. And um, the board of supervisors really actually only has a month to look at. So has about a month of hearing time and then kind of that goes to the legislative process. So they have a month to tinker around around the edges of the budget to try to reprioritize things. Um, and then end of, of July is when the board approves the budget, the mayor signs it, and then it actually is in effect starting in August. So it's kind of broad budget timeline. Um, the next is kind of just similar, but these are key dates. And this is produced by the mayor's office, right? Of, of key dates that they have for the budget. So again, December was when she had this budget outlook and issued instructions to every department, which is this year was cut 5%, the first year cut 8% in the second year. Um, and then the system opens up for departments to start entering their budgets. And, um, you know, different reports come out that help guide departments, but really, you know, February 21st, is when all departments have to submit their budget to the mayor. And, you know, there's a bunch of other hearings and then June 1st, the mayor proposes and then the budget and appropriations committee. How many slides do you have left? Um, we will go through the next pretty quickly. So this one, you already know the mayor's budget priorities, right? Um, which she's already talked about. Uh, and then we can slip to the next one too. Um, which, you know, she said cut 5% in the first year, 8% in the second year, and sort of what else she wanted to, to maintain. Um, and so, like, the last two slides actually um, are sort of talking about the board. And this is a draft, so we haven't finalized this yet, but this is sort of what the board's budget committee um, is planning to do and what our schedule is. In Jan January, we already had our hearing about the five-year financial plan, the mayor's um, budget priorities. Um, March 1st, we are planning to have a hearing about the six-month budget update, which is a real-time update to what the budget's actually doing. So we'll get a sense of like how much those projections are real or not. Um, we'll also have a hearing about the controller's like annual budget. Um, you know, and then the board is actually going to, on March 8th, uh, put forward and have a hearing about our board process motion. So this is where the board's priorities are going to be. And I'll talk about that a little bit more actually in the next slide. I know another key date is the Youth Commission um, will be doing a presentation about your priorities too, and we'll have a hearing that is targeted for March 22nd with a special order at 4 o'clock, as you've requested. So those are kind of key dates, I think. Um, you know, coming up and, and there'll be more and these are still sort of up in the air. So uh, I won't go too deeply into them. But I think the last slide talks a little bit about board priorities. So I was saying, right, this board process motion, um, we're going to introduce that on March 1st. And what we've done is we've met with every office and uh, we've actually put a survey out to every office about what for each district is their most important. Um, right, and from that, what every department is, uh, every district has said, we're going to put together a resolution that just says, 
you know, these are the things that, you know, are very important to the members of the board. And as they look at the budget, they want to make sure to make sure is, is very much is funded and funded appropriately. Um, so those are kind of the top issues in no particular order or priority, but from each of the offices, those were like all we agreed on sort of the top, you know, multiple offices. We kind of took out the ones that only had one office suggesting it. Um, or two offices suggesting it. So these are the top ones. And within these issue priorities, so public safety, affordable housing, behavioral health and homelessness, which is almost one topic, clean streets and sort of neighborhood services in general, um, small business support and the economy support, and also uh, sort of funding for children, seniors and education programs um, is also very important. Um, Supervisor Chan's sort of priorities as she's looking to it, the framework that she wants to apply to these is uh, really looking at how we can find more government efficiencies to provide these services. So how can we um, make sure that those resources we've already dedicated, we're getting the most out of them and not duplicating services. Um, she really wants to take a hard equity lens in services and making sure that we're prioritizing opportunities for communities of color and underrepresented communities, right? Like that, you know, the, the folks that have the least voice uh, is who I think government is responsible for speaking up most for. Um, and also, I think, wants to take a look at this budget with a sense of being responsible about budgeting, which is sort of related to government efficiencies, but specifically different. And it's it's guarding against corruption, right? We, we've heard about this, we've heard about um, misuse of funds, how can we set up systems that prevent that from happening in the future? Not just making sure we're efficient in all that we do, but that we're actually guarding against that for the future and for future budget years, right? It's not just about this budget year, but it's about the next budget year. The next, you know, we saw those five-year projections. How do we make sure we put systems in place that last for those five years? And so, that will be the board process motion we're, we're going to put together for March 1st and have a hearing about it to get feedback from um, not just the other members of the board, but from the public about how much do you think that's on track? You know, is that right? Is it not? You know, should we reprioritize? So that's kind of where we're at. I'm happy to take any questions. Um, and yeah. Great. Thank you so much. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, now I'm like coughing on talky dust. Oh, sorry. Um, I know you talked a lot about like the um, general fund departments, but I know like some departments like MTA, like they still receive like a portion of like general funds, like dollars. So like, is there is there room to like advocate for that as well? Because I think that's something we're very like interested in, um, at least um, as a commission and my committee specifically. So, like, is there still room for that? Absolutely. I think that this is where that framework that we were talking about, like about sort of government efficiency, is that there are opportunities to look at how the department is perhaps spending some of the money we're giving them and whether it's really being as effectively used as it could be. And if it's not, right, like, I think, Right? What are the metrics you're using? Are you showing that this is successful or not? And if it's not, then let's actually fund a program that we know we all prioritize. Um, you know, one of her long-term goals 
period is free muting for like just free muting, right? like not free muting for X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And I think part of that, you know, that does come from a general fund subsidy. Um, and it has always historically been where that starts. Um, and if we're going to continue to do that, we, we want to not only do that, but expand it, but figure out how MTA can fund it too, right? Like, so is there also like a look, because a lot of this is about like, oh, you know, what services do we provide? What services do we cut? But are we looking at ways also like in the budget process of like, how can we raise new revenues like, um, and things like that? Because I know like for, for departments like MTA, you know, they're looking at like, oh, do we increase fares? You know, do we expand meter hours? You know, like things of that nature. So like, or even, you know, like, tax revenue is down, like, do we need to, like, create a new, like, tax in the city or raise the existing taxes to, like, yeah. fund these services? Because a lot of these services, you know, if the budget, if, if the, like, or deficit keeps growing, you know, at some point, we, keep, we can't keep cutting, you know. Agreed, agreed, 100%. And that's a great question. I think, you know, that is definitely part of the picture, and it's definitely a conversation that needs to happen. Taxes have to be passed um, at the ballot, right? So um, we don't have an election this year, so we'll have to look at 2024. And I know that there's already a lot of talk of different kind of revenue measures. Um, I think another thing that we are going to flag is, you know, there is actually a statewide ballot initiative that proposes to seriously hamper um, local uh, jurisdictions' ability to um, raise that revenue. So they tried to do this in 2022, is they had actually qualified this measure, but then kind of didn't put it on the ballot. They already qualified it for 2024. Um, it's put together by the California Business Roundtable, very conservative group of Howard Jarvis Taxpayer Association, Republican big business types. But what they're trying to do is um, make it so that we can't actually use the citizens initiative to put ballot measures um, on. So like for things like the vacancy tax for, um, you know, Prop C, the homeless funding, baby Prop C, those were all put on by homeless um, citizen initiative. So we had a 50% plus one threshold. Um, they're proposing get rid of that and that everything has to go to two thirds. Also proposing that it'll be really difficult to raise just regular fees to pay for government services. Um, so, you know, there's a lot out there that we got to kind of keep an eye out for and try to make sure that doesn't happen because then it would hamper our ability and to, to help make bridge that difference. Thank you. Sure. Question, mm -hmm. kind of like a broader question yep. in regards to the surplus that you were referencing, like previously with projected deficits and whatnot. How is that like, Played into the five and eight percent cuts within the next year and or the next two years because if, like, just out of curiosity, if we've always done better than expected, then why the three percent decrease in all of this postponement? That's a great question. Um, so you know, we don't get a lot of power over that money. We hear about it, and sometimes what you'll see, um, and in recent years when we've had a super majority of progressives on the board. They tried to pass like sort of mid-year budget supplementals to try to designate that money. The problem is, like, you remember that original chart that showed how much how much time the mayor has to work on the budget? That also means that they have a lot of power. You know, the mayor's office has a lot of power over the budget itself, right? And so 
has a lot of power to spend that um, that surplus, and it has in past years, right? It goes into sort of a fund that we don't know on the board side what happens to it, how to access it, where it goes. Um, but we do see press releases and then roll out, right, about like the mayor is putting, you know, $10 million in this or $50 million in that, or and, and that's kind of what happens to it, right? We don't have a lot of power other than the power of sort of inquiry. Um, because even when the board uh, passes a supplemental or passes something like that, the mayor still gets to decide whether or not they're going to spend that money. And that's happened in past years where the board has designated a certain, created a fund and designated a certain thing. And the mayor has just chosen to spend it however they want. A good example is Free City College. Right where we passed a ballot measure, we passed several resolutions about how we wanted that tax measure to pay for free city. And in fact, it brought in, I think in the first year, something like 10 or $15 million, would have, which would have completely paid for that first year of free city college. But the mayor chose to take more than half of it and use it for whatever the mayor wanted to use it for and only designated, I think, something like $3 million for city college, do we for free city. It was used for, like the other seven to... Whatever the mayor wanted to use it for. So there really is like, sort of, it's when this money comes into the general fund, it's sort of like it comes into a big pot of money. Yeah. And then once it goes into that pot, we kind of can't track it. Um, I'm wondering if... I'm wondering, you know, if you could sort of expand upon what you mean by the four process motion. Sure. Um, and I sort of have another question in that, but I want to, if you could just sort of explain that a little bit more. Is that the resolution you were talking about? Yes. It's the, how the board just sort of intends to go about it? Yes, the board sort of priorities and top priorities and how they want the framework with which they want to look at the budget process and prioritize things. So it would be actually very similar to, I think, what the Youth Commission would propose in terms of Youth Commission priorities for the budget. Okay. It's a very similar kind of document. Um, and then sort of within that, you said um, only, or at least on that slide, only things that were um, proposed by, yeah, I think, more than two, um, two private offices were included in that. What metric did your office use to determine that? Like you said between one and two, and then what happens to our supervisors who say have a very specific district need that is now not being taken into account in that resolution? Well, broadly, we want to make sure that overall the Board of Supervisors um, has that sort of citywide perspective. Right, because in the end, even though we're all district supervisors, we also are citywide supervisors, right? And it is about uh, making sure that that uh, broad majority, you know, kind of does drive what happens. And I think that, you know, that is where our framework that, you know, sort of Supervisor Chan in terms of using you know, sort of her priorities because she is the budget chair, so you do get to have like a little bit more say in it, um, overlays that, right? And I think, you know, that's gonna fill in the gaps. I mean, I think also there is some room for interpretation, right? Some people, when they say public safety, 
um, you know, it's clear some supervisors need more cups, right? But I think if you look at the majority of members of this board of supervisors, that's actually not what they need. Right? They mean more about services that support communities, right? Which it could be sort of, um, you know, whether it's services for different communities, for youth, for, um, you know, it makes public safety a lot broader than just cops. Um, and so I, I think that there is sort of some room for interpretation and some room for, you know, where supervisor chance priorities are that will kind of make sure that most supervisors have top things covered. Um, let's not also forget that individual members can also advocate and push for things through the budget process as well. And I'm sure they certainly will. Um, for the, so back to the budget surplus, um, mm -hmm. I was wondering, so this is after the whole, uh, whole process about um, like for budgeting and whatnot. So I was wondering like, since it's entirely up to the mayor, how does, how can community input like find his way into that? Well, the board certainly has a very robust sort of community input process. Um, I think this is, a, you know, to get that community voice in in other places is really about organizing, right, and bringing folks together, right? Ultimately, it is about power, right? Who has power in that conversation and how can we combine our power um, to influence what that final product is? Um, it's just, you know, knowing the situation you're going into, which is, you know, as much as the Board of Supervisors is 11 people that represents the entire city and actually represents a lot of diverse folks, uh, it still is a strong mayor town. And that still does rule the day. But I think in the places where we've been successful is where we, you know, combine our voices and combine our power together. Um, and push back and, you know, come together with some agreements. So it's not easy, you know, nothing worth fighting for ever is, um, but, you know, it's recognizing we are in this system where we have to combine those, those voices. I also wanted to check if um, commissioners online had any questions. If so, just raise your hand. Hello. Y'all hear us, right? Yeah, we can yeah, hear, we you. hear you. Do you guys have any questions? Okay. Nope. Okay. Commissioner um, Miller. Yeah, I know. Um, I saw one of uh, Supervisor Chan's priorities was like improving like the efficiency of like service delivery, and I know like something that's been talked about a lot lately is like kind of our rules around like contracting and procurement. Like I know we're not allowed to work with many states, um, and there's been like news stories about it lately and also I don't I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about this so staff like stop me if I'm not but um, like I, I I work for a, a city department and like I hear about like our like budget and there's a lot of like suppliers that we're allowed to like work with and a lot that we're not so what we'll do is like when we can't work with the specific supplier we, we work with an approved one who then buys from the unapproved one and then we pay the approved one a premium for that. So it's like, 
I don't know. It just seems like there's like bureaucracy that's meant to like maybe stop like corruption, but it actually leads to greater like inefficiencies and stuff. So that's part of you know the efficiencies that we're talking about because the reality is when people talk about how this hinders contracts, we have an exemption process. It's not very difficult. I mean, it's it is a bureaucratic form, but if you can't you know, like only one provider provides it and they're in a prohibited state, there's actually a fairly easy like exemption form you can just fill out and get approved. And you can actually buy directly from that supplier, right? It's not, the point of it is to, to the degree that we can is live our values, right? If our values are that we don't want to support, you know, anti-LGBTQ, anti, -LGBTQ, anti you know, abortion, anti, you know, if, if we really want to hold those values, um, then we got to hold them. And there is a process by which, you know, you know, let's be real. I think one of the, one of the places where um, it hurts is that we have a lot of historically black colleges that we want to go and um, actually have a more robust program uh, where we go into those colleges and universities and talk about the opportunity to work in San Francisco and really hire directly. Um, but a lot of them are in banned states. Um, but I think like we don't need to get rid of our prohibition. We just need to use the process for an exemption so we can go and recruit because I don't think anybody is going to object to an exemption to go recruit at a historically black college, right? You know, and say, oh no, we're, we're going to a banned state, right? Like that's what the exemptions are for. So we, we just also gotta be smart about using the system rather than doing that. I think, yes, I, I understand like sometimes you have a workaround, but also there is an exemption in place. Let's just use the exemption process. Great, thank you. I think we'll cut off questions for now since we're running very short on time. But just like one last thing, I was going to ask for a piece of advice you would have for us because, um, as you mentioned before, we're preparing to your committee or the budget committee late March. So I was wondering, like, do you have any advice for making our presentation as effective as possible? And like, do you have a method for you know getting the, the attention of your supervisors and like ensuring that they'll follow through with our priorities? Um, I, I think, you know, coming and presenting a committee, super important, you know, I think um, to the degree that you can also connect it to, you know, as much as I say the supervisors are supposed to be citywide supervisors, also tying it to like very district specific projects as examples of what you, what you mean and the impact it will have on their specific districts. Um, when you're making a representation, just having those like real world sort of examples that ties it back um, to, the, to the supervisors in the room or the supervisor you're lobbying at that time, I think is super helpful. Um, I think certainly empowering your youth commissioner to take the lead and develop that relationship with that office, um, I think is also, you know, great. We're always looking for opportunities um, to, to make sure that individual commissioners can um, really, you know, take that leadership opportunity um, and, and, you know, do more work in the districts. Great. Thank you so much. And I was also wondering, do you have any asks for us or 
any way we can support you. I know it's not the same as you know presenting of priorities since you guys are in the budget office, but like is there any way we can help with anything or collaborate? I think in any way that we can make sure that we engage the youth voice and that we have, you know, opportunities for engagement and direct engagement and um, just helping us also publicize sort of like the public comment days, the, um, you know, different ways to engage, um, who to engage with is, is super helpful. Um, I think also like offering to take the supervisors of their offices around in different communities and like now that we can be, you know, in person, um, you know, invite them to your schools, your programs, um, let us actually like see and experience directly, um, from, you know, you and your peers, um, as opposed to hearing it in, you know, emails or, or social media, which is also great, you know, any way to engage is always great. But I think now that we can be in person, like, let's really use that. Nothing replaces organizing in person. Nothing replaces having those messages in person. And if you're really going to, you know, I think drive home that impact of, of what the Youth Commission priorities are, I think, like, seeding it in a real world time and space um, is really powerful. Great. Yeah. Sure. Well, thank you so much for your time and coming sure. in person to talk to us. Um, of course. Yeah. Thank you. And you all have my contact information. If there are any questions that weren't answered, please feel free to reach out uh, yes. outside of this anytime. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Um, also, Claire, I know I'm so sorry we kept you waiting. A lot of the presentations and our questioning went over, but are you still ready to present? Oh. Yeah. Um, hi, I everyone. Can everyone hear me okay? Hold yes. up your start my video. So I was um, actually hoping to have a more. You see me okay? One second. I'm actually pulling up your presentation. Okay. Yeah. Cool. No worries. Um, yeah, I was hoping to have a more engaging discussion than me presenting at you for ten minutes. So. I kind of incorporated like discussion questions into the slides. Should we skip them till the end or hold off to like a later date or like how do you how do you how would you all like to proceed? I can definitely give you the context of this presentation in 10 minutes or less, but um yeah, there are like also discussion questions incorporated into them. So how would you like to proceed moving forward? Um, what people want. No, I, my, I, I think it would make sense to kind of do it I was going to say we should prioritize the discussion and then we could look at the presentation stuff on our own. Um, what do other people think? We could do like a poll. Like, Maybe just like do like a like quick summary of the plan and then the, the questions. I, was, I just have no idea what. The discussion. What is yeah. Well, yeah, we could just do a quick overview of the presentation and then. Um, I'd say prioritize the discussion if possible. And we can take a time to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she's our last presenter. Yeah. She is. Yes. So, do, does the presentation need to be shared, Chair? Uh, if possible, yeah. So okay, yeah. it is shared. Um, like share screen. I'm sharing screen. Oh. Do you? Claire, do you do you want to go through the presentation, or would you prefer like giving a brief overview? 
why don't I feel like I can do the presentation itself like all of the context in five minutes or less yeah I think it's really the discussion that is like the meat of this and like the, the most important part is like hearing from you all okay great yeah as long as it's all under 20 minutes that's perfect okay okay, okay so why don't we do um so it sounds like maybe we'll hold off the discussion until the end yeah okay cool great <laughs> hi so um let me introduce myself. My, my name is Clara Mobley, and I'm the Director of Advocacy at the San Francisco Bicycle Coalition. Um, a little bit about myself before we get started. I was born and raised in the Tenderloin. Um, I was the District 6 Youth Commissioner from 2016 to 2018, where I chaired the Housing, Economic Development, and Transportation Committee, which I think Commissioner Miller told me is now like the Land Use Committee, which is so much more fitting, um, in my opinion. And, you know, in the last three years that I've been at the San Francisco Bicycle Coalition, we have partnered with the Youth Commission on community alternatives to police um, in the Tenderloin, uh, on car-free JFK, and on slow streets during its first initial phase. Um, we are working in partnership with the SFMTA on the Active Communities Plan, and we're currently in phase one of the process, and I'm interested in hearing from you all during really all phases of this plan. Um, because I believe that it is super important to engage young people in city planning processes. And, you know, by the time these projects are fully constructed, you will all be in your mid to late 20s, hopefully choosing to bike around the city or take public transportation. Um, next slide, please. So uh, today I'm just going to give you, we're going to skip the discussion questions and we'll do them at the very end. So what I'm here to talk to you about is the Active Communities Plan. Like what is it? What kinds of policies and programs we need to get people on active modes of transportation? What kinds of outreach and engagement are we doing and prioritizing? And what are we studying in this plan? Uh, next slide, please. So. What is the Active Communities Plan? Such a weird name, but it's it's weird for a reason. So the Active Communities Plan is a new plan that updates the 2009 Bicycle Master Plan. A lot of the projects that were identified in the 2009 plan have already been like fully constructed, and we are in dire need of an update. Um, the ACP will create a new network with supportive programs and policies that will be implemented within the next 10 to 15 years. And in partnership with SFMTA and community-based organizations, we are spending this entire year doing outreach and engagement all over the city. I'm talking like maybe 60 events throughout the next year. Um, and with a plan for adoption by spring 2024. So around this time next year, we should have an actual plan that is going to be ready um, for adoption by the city. Uh, next slide, please. So we use the term um, active transportation over bicycles because uh, it's not just people on bikes who use bike lanes. The term encompasses people who use wheelchairs, skateboards, scooters, and other electric-assisted devices. And the purpose of ACP is to connect and expand the network with protected lanes, um, with slow streets, uh, and car-free spaces, as well as add new supportive facilities like device parking. How many times have you like pulled up to a um, um, 
what is the word to a to a bicycle parking um, spot or and you like notice that there's a bunch of scooters on them <laughs> that's very very common and we are in dire need of more bike parking um, as well as bike share and scooter share next slide please so this is the first slide with discussion questions let's just move um, on to the next slide so the Active Communities Plan isn't just about infrastructure, it's also about programs and initiatives that encourage people to use, act, to use active transportation like biking and scootering and even walking. And these initiatives can be things like bicycle education classes, which the Bicycle Coalition teaches free classes all year round, um, or Vision Zero education, which I was really excited to see um, as part of today's hearing. Um, I hope that we can get through this so that you can get to that <laughs> sooner rather than later. Um, next slide, please. So these are more discussion questions. We can just move on into the next slide on outreach and engagement. So as I mentioned, we are taking the entire year to conduct outreach in various phases that will come together as a complete plan by the end of the year. And there are various ways to participate in this process, whether that is online or in person. In addition to the outreach that the San Francisco Bicycle Coalition is doing, we are tasked to do 20 events, and we're like the citywide organization. There are um, five other community-based organizations who are doing their own outreach for this plan that is focused on um, equity priority neighborhoods. So the neighborhoods where past projects have been incredibly you know, divisive. And together we are doing about 50 events this year. So can we move on to the next slide? So those community partners um, that make up the five CBOs that are also doing this outreach with us include um, the Bayview Hunters Point Community Advocates, Poder Bicis del Pueblo for the Mission, Outer Mission in the Excelsior, Tenderloin Community Benefit District, um, New Community Leadership Foundation in the Fillmore, and some Filipinas. Next slide, you can skip this one. And into the analysis. So, um, the last part of the Active Communities Plan is the analysis portion where we'll identify areas for network improvements by studying things like equity and collision data, connectivity, vehicle counts to better inform new policies and programs. Next slide is also a discussion question slide. So next one, plan and adoption and next steps. So like I said, we're taking this year to conduct outreach, um, currently in phase one. Phase two is going to be everything that we learned in phase one that we are going, and that will help us draft together a plan where we are, we'll go back to community members and commissions like yourself to, to present um, with a plan of, and, and hope that we will adopt the plan um, by spring of 2024. And these are various ways where, you know, you can um, get involved with the outreach process. As I, I said in the very beginning of this presentation, like I'm really interested in the Youth Commission, um, you know, being involved in this process from, from start to finish. So that pretty much sums up the first phase of the Active Communities Plan. I know that we are a bit strapped for time, um, but we can move into the discussion questions now if you want, or if you have any other, if you have questions that are outside of the discussion questions, I'm, I'm also here for that. We can do the discussion questions first, if that works for you. Let's do it. Okay. Um, do you all have the presentation pulled up in front of you, or shall we pull it up on the screen? We have it. Okay. Wonderful. So 
Let's start with, and I know that there are, even within the discussion questions, there's like 12 of them. Um, we don't need to answer all of them. Maybe let's answer the ones that like you all feel called to. Um, and the first, for the first set, the questions are, what are the top transportation issues facing our city? Um, for those of you who use the active transportation network, what do you like and what would you change about it? And then the third is, what would an ideal network look like to you? Does anyone want to start off? Um, I'll ask a, I'll ask a question quickly if that's all right. Um, all right, I, 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 I guess at least answer this question. I guess with the top transportation issue, I think a lot of us commissioners would agree it's um, safety is important. If you're if you're riding a bike or a scooter, um, and this sort of relates to the the, the Vision Zero advocacy, but um, currently you know proximity to cars in a lot of spaces makes um, and certain intersections are hazardous. So I'd say that safety, um, especially with you know cars, is is a paramount issue here. Thank you, Commissioner Adair. Adair? Yeah, I would just say, like, in terms of, like, um, what are some, like, things that I would, like, change or, like, make a more ideal network is, like, I don't know, I'll, like, bike, and I feel like a lot of times, like, you know, like, I, I could bike downtown pretty easily from where I live, like, through the Panhandle and, like, the Wiggle and, you know, Slow Gauge Street, but like the more you try to like get out into like other neighborhoods um it becomes really difficult like um i uh like there's been events like in like the bayview and stuff where you know i've tried to like bike there and even with like recent improvements like on evans street and such you know it still doesn't feel very like it's not comfortable like the way uh biking like down the panhandle is where it's like really separated um you're still like very exposed to like traffic and such there and then just, I feel like the network just isn't very big there. Like, there's not really any slow streets um, in that section of the city at all. So would you say, like, an ideal network would be better um, connected? Yeah. Like yeah. the downtown core, but also to include, like, the, the outer neighborhoods. Yeah, like, you know, when you think of, like, Muni or just, like, the street grid, you know, it's, it's, it's a network. It all connects, whereas, like, the bike network, like it can sometimes be like very like disjointed. Like I don't know if you bike down like Folsom, like all of a sudden you hit division and all the bike lanes are just gone. It doesn't really continue. Um, or I I guess it's on division when you hit Folsom, but I, I'm confusing myself now. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Anyone else? I mean, I would add to that. So I live in the Excelsior in District 11, um, and the streets are super small. And also, like, it's just scary biking there. Um, so it's it's kind of hard for me to bike from the Excelsior to anywhere north of the city. Um, so I kind of, like, always just, you know, either, like, drive my bike up and then, like, stay in the northern part of the city or just stay south and bike, like, east to west, right, or west to east. And I'd say that's, like, really unfortunate because it's a successful, like, um, transportation network to me is like, you know, you can go from anywhere to anywhere in the city um, and like where you live shouldn't matter or like that, that kind of transportation. So I'd say mm -hmm. just like 
kind of similar to what Commissioner Miller said, prioritizing consistency among like all streets and like ensuring that, you know, um, neighborhoods that have more narrow streets and like that are just like generally more unsafe get more attention when you like look at this plan. And I think something that I've noticed um, with the MTA and like a lot of different organizations, like they say that they'll focus on, you know, equity, priority communities or whatever, whatever. And they say that for like years and years, but like I still don't really see any changes and like, you know, the state, the same issues arise and there's more accidents in, um, you know, neighborhoods closer to freeways and like, you know, neighborhoods with smaller streets and whatnot. So I'd say just like really ensuring that you prioritize those neighborhoods and communities and like ensuring that the active transportation network is implemented all throughout the city. Um, but yeah, yeah. That's that's pretty much all I have. Is that Chair Nguyen? Yeah, Chair Wen. Chin Chair Wen. Yeah, thanks for um thanks for saying that. I, I feel like the last bit about you know prioritizing equity um equity priority communities is really important. Um and I you know, want to believe that that's why we now have like these partnering organizations that are helping us do this outreach in these various communities because I think MTA knows that they're not really good at doing their outreach in certain places. So I'm I'm hoping that you know in partnering with these communities, like we can actually reach people. Um, and I think you know that is a really good segue into the next discussion questions that we have which is if, if no one else wants to chime in about these three, then maybe we can go on to the next three. Um, or maybe I maybe jump, jumped a bit because it's actually the next three. No, no but we can do that one. <laughs> Sorry, lots of jumping around here. Um, so these ones are kind of quick and this is gonna be a lot more difficult because I'm not there in person and can, can't actually see how many of you can raise your hand for this, but can I just see like a raise of hands and maybe staff can help me here of how many of you have like participated in a bicycle education class or in or in bike month before there's two i think i did bike month and for the is that like the bike to school yeah i did that four what about four. how about online online commissioners um, if you can just say that you have them, just go for you. Maybe when I was like really little, like the other commissioners, because I, mean, I live really close to elementary school, but I'm not really Okay, so five. Okay, five of the, are there like 11 of you? Fifteen. It's only like a third. Okay. Question <laughs> that is, what would encourage you or people in your community to explore active transportation more? Um, I would just say making it safer and more accessible. Like, I really enjoy biking. My family likes to bike, but we don't bike on the streets. We'll go out, like, mountain biking or something like that just because I don't think that it's very safe. And I love to bike around the city, but, it, like, um, Commissioner Miller, Commissioner Wayne mentioned, like, it's just not, it doesn't always feel very safe and accessible in all parts of the city. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hearing a lot of pluses for safer infrastructure and better connectivity. Anyone else? I was just going to say, I think it 
a lot of the exposure that you have to, I think, like biking when you're younger plays a lot of influence on like if you do it in the future. Like personally, I was never taught to ride a bike just because of like my family, like family's financial and just like leisure time. And I went to high school and I was like, oh, I don't know how to ride a bike. And then, like, it was in my like high school PE class where I was like, oh, like. I, need, I should know this. And I think I've talked to other people about it. And like some people just more than ever talked to ride a bike. And some people just can't afford to ride a bike or just don't have a bike. Or they were never got they never got a bike when they were younger. So I guess like a suggestion could possibly be when you are in elementary school or when you are younger, just like exposing that as like even an option. I don't know. Just yeah. And who was that that just spoke? Um, Commissioner Nguyen. Commissioner Nguyen. Yeah. I am. I am. Yeah. Yeah, I I think I I hear you. <laughs> I feel like it's definitely a lot harder to bike um, <laughs> if you're like living in, I don't know, like a place like the Tenderloin <laughs> or in Chinatown. Um, you don't really see a lot of young people biking on streets there. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, what I, what I heard from your comment was like teaching people like while they're young, teaching youth like while they're young, like, and maybe that can be in the form of a class. Um, I also want to do like a plug for if any of you don't know how to ride bicycles, we teach people how to ride bikes for free all year round. It's never too late. Um, but yeah, I, I hear that. Anybody else? Oh, go ahead. Um, yeah, just to add on to what Commissioner Kim <coughs> said, um, possibly also like 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 targeting that outreach into like areas that like often don't have youth who bike. Because like what you mentioned earlier about the Tenderloin, I grew up in the Tenderloin, and I like didn't really know about biking, so I still don't know how to ride a bike. Um, so yeah, like definitely focusing that like outreach and like youth biking stuff to areas that don't often have. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I guess like one thing that like comes to me when I think about like what like barriers people face in at least in San Francisco is like one like the hills. Like there's just so many hills here that like I don't know. Like I'd love to bike from school to like City Hall, but that would involve me like basically going over Twin Peaks would be like a straight line. So it's just not very viable. And you know like. Uni's like the only like light rail system in the country that doesn't allow people to bring their bike on board the trains. Um, like you can bring your bike on BART or like Caltrain or the BTA light rail, but you can't bring it on Uni. So that's um, I think an issue. Well, I guess I would just also add that I think um, having secure like bike parking because you know like maybe I would be more comfortable biking over the hill if I had like an electric bicycle. But then the, the fear with that is like, you know, if I have a thousand dollar, you know, electric bicycle, um, do I feel like confident, you know, walking it on the city streets and that it'll be there when I return in two hours, you know? Yeah. Thanks, Commissioner Miller. That is actually our like next batch of questions that we can just jump to now. The, and the questions are, what barriers to active transportation do we need to be aware of so we can address 
um, in, so we can address them in this planning process. What I heard from you are like, the topography of the city is just incredibly hilly. Um, I really liked the comment about Muni being the only light rail system where you can't bring a bike on it and how that can prohibit um, people like even wanting to ride their bike if they can't get on Muni or public transit to get to where they need to go to overcome hills and secure bike parking. Um, the other questions on here that feel free to answer any of them is what do we need to ensure people typically left out of this conversation are included? And how would you like to be engaged in developing this plan? Does anyone else want to chime in on some of the things that Commissioner Hiller said? Um, I actually kind of had a, I had a question. Mm -hmm. Are there programs that offer like free bikes to youth who don't have them? Yeah. To my, yeah. So we um, at the San Francisco Bicycle Coalition, we have a have a program where we oftentimes like will partner with a community-based organization um, and you know we have the ability to to give out free bikes if they qualify as as low income or unable to access bikes by any other means necessary um, but we also do like other programmatic things that are combined with you know teaching a class and getting a free bicycle those are things that just need to be planned like in advance um, but I also know that, you know, one of our community partners for the Arctic Communities Plan, um, Poder, BC's Del Pueblo, uh, their program is they teach people how to fix their bikes and then they're able to get them at the end of the session. Okay, that's good to hear because I was thinking one of the barriers might be people just not having a bike in the first place, even if all the other problems are solved. Yeah. And then there's also the issue of, like, storing and locking bikes as well. Um, which is a, a lot of what I hear from people in communities that are like downtown who are living in like SROs and don't have space for them. Um, yeah, so many, I think there are not like many, many options, but there are like options for, for people and, and youth to be able to, to get bikes on a low income or no income basis. As well as the bicycle education classes to teach you how to ride your bike safe in the city. I sort of have a question based on that last question in the slide um, of like what you all at the Bicycle Coalition are doing in terms of outreach towards youth and young communities and in doing so like what you think we could do to help support that outreach as we want to expand into this network and just sort of making this a more viable option for different different groups of people. Sorry, part of the question, or part of what you were saying kind of cut out a bit. You you asked what, what is the Bicycle Coalition doing to do more outreach to young people, and where can the Youth Commission help? Yeah, essentially. Okay. Um, my answer to that question is this is the first meeting that I've had with young people. And we're also in the, currently in phase one of the plan, so we've only been doing outreach since last month. Um, and so I think, like, you know, a like I said, like in the beginning of this presentation, like I'm really interested in hearing from the Youth Commission like throughout this process, um, your thoughts and your feedback on the plan as it develops. Um, and I'm also like really interested in doing like actual events with young people. And we can do that in partnership. We or or not in partnership. I would love to do it in partnership with the Youth Commission, but up to you and your capacity. Um, Commissioner 
Um, Miller and Parker. I. Plumber. What was that? Wait, what? I'm Commissioner Bonder Plumber. Sorry, did I cut out? No. <laughs> Sorry, it's getting a little late, so we're a little. Thirty seconds. Um, okay. I'll, I'll let you finish. I should fire off. I was gonna say, um, if you're interested in co-hosting an event or something, you should definitely come and speak to our um, housing, recreation, and transit committee. Mm -hmm. um, we discussed like possibly writing a resolution about allowing bikes on the mini trains and um, seeing this conversation, we should just like talk again to see what we can do together. Because um, the Youth Commission is like more interested in doing community events throughout the city. So yeah, we'd love to partner with you. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. And I know that, you know, we only really had like 20 minutes here and I think I already took up all of that time. So I was gonna recommend that, yeah, let's talk more later. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. So well, we can get to the rest of your presentation or the rest of your agenda. Yes, we will be doing our vision zero resolution. Yeah. Very exciting. Wrong, but thank you so much for talking to us today. We really appreciate your time. Also, it's so cool that you used to be on the youth commission too. I think that's like a full circle. So <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. I try. I try as hard as I can to come back and engage with the newer commissioners. It keeps me young. <laughs> okay. So. I'll talk to you all um, soon, hopefully, and, you know, maybe we can plan something much bigger, maybe during the summer. Thank you. Thank you. Yep. Yeah. Bye. 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 Okay. Um, is there any public comment on this item of the agenda? Um, if members in the audience would like to do public comment, please Press star three. Okay, there's a little bit of attendance actually. Uh, Chair, you have no public comment. Right, the public comment is now closed. Um, I think we can take the five minute recess before we move on to the resolution. So be back at 7 30. Okay, recording has resumed. Commissioners, recording has resumed. Okay, um, I called this meeting back to order at 7.32 p.m. Um, do we need to take attendance? Uh, no, you have quorum. Maybe. Um, staff, can you please call item number seven? Um, item number seven is resolutions, A, vision zero resolution, second reading, and possible action. Okay. Um, so this is our second reading of the vision zero resolution. Um, and as a quick recap, do either of you guys want to give the recap or? Um, yeah, sure. So I think um, since our last um, reading, did we meet with both KidSafe and WalkSF? Or? Yeah, so since our last meeting um, where we read this, Jocelyn um, uh, or uh, Commissioner Colleen and Commissioner Wynn and myself um, met with um, both Robin of KidSafe SF and um, uh, what was her name? Jody Madeiras of Walk San Francisco um, to just review our resolution and some of the like um, priorities they could put the rest of back on. So um, in particular, I think the feedback that we changed came from um, Walk San Francisco, um, and they brought up that there's a lot of city departments who signed on to Vision Zero, um, 
that are listed, we'll read them out in a second. So I haven't really taken any action uh, because maybe they have a smaller part to play, but they still can play an important part, such as like the police or the fire departments. Um, so we just added in information about that, and they just looked it over. Um, and both of them had a very positive things to say about it, which was good. But um, it's also a good opportunity for future collaboration. I don't know if y'all want to chat. Yeah, no, that sounds good. Yeah. There's only three clauses that were added. Mm -hmm. Do we still need to read the entire? No, you can just read the clauses. Read the changes. Yeah, so the changes are underlined on the. It's on page one and page. So the very first thing we're in the last page. Yeah. Okay. Um, whereas full city departments, including the municipal transportation agency, police department, fire department, department of public works, department of public health, department of environment, planning department, recreations and park department, county transportation authority, district attorney's office, airport department, and unified school district and the mayor's office signed on in support of Vision Zero and. And move to page 10. Uh, further resolved that the 2022-2023 commission of the city and county of San Francisco urges the 13th department to committed to vision one to say yes to her. I take this at 2 a.m., so don't don't get at me. Um, zero to collaborate to ensure vision zero work is being delivered efficiently and holistically and via further resolved that the schedule should be sent to the mayor, board of supervisors, and the following city departments. Municipal Transportation well, not like, you know, just the roads surrounding the airport, you like the terminal ears, you know, that's like, oh. People get hit by cars there all I mean, yeah, it's a bunch of people looking at the, we'll take out highways, and then exactly there's taxis. Yep. Any other questions? Are there any questions from people online? Commissioners Sorry. online? It seems not. Guys, oh, wait, wait, wait. wait commissioner oh, there. Sorry about that. Um, so I, I guess just looking at these underlying changes, um, um, I guess the, the third, was, was the change just to make sure that, um, you know, these, these departments are getting the information that, about Vision Zero is, is is the change more sub substantive or is it just making sure that they're aware of it? It's kind of just like holding them accountable and like mm -hmm. ensuring that they follow through every commitments they made. Okay, perfect. Thanks. Um, are there any motions to approve the resolution? Can I make a motion to approve the resolution along with any grammatical errors? Is it the San Francisco International Airport or is it the San Francisco Airport Commission? Because I don't think there's the San Francisco Airport Department. I guess it's just the San Francisco Airport. International Airport or the Airport Commission? I think 
Just for clarification, so we know. Yeah. So we know who to direct this to. Yeah. Okay. Motion to yeah approve this uh, resolution with grammatical errors. So seconded. Um, Commissioner Colleen motions to approve this resolution, seconded by Commissioner Wynn. Uh, is there any discussion on this motion? I'm just saying thank you to Commissioners Wynn, Miller, and Colleen for your work on this. I know it took a lot of research and whatnot. It's an important issue that we need to address moving forward. Oh. <laughs> Is there any public comment on this motion? Uh, Chair, you have no public comment. Great. Staff, can you please take a roll call? Please do a roll call. Yes. Um, my computer was dying. On to call the roll to approve the Vision Zero resolution and Commissioner Wong. Wong, I, um, Commissioner Adair. Aye. Adair, aye. Commissioner Loftus. Aye. Loftus, aye. Commissioner Miller. Aye. Miller, aye. Commissioner Lestana. Aye. Lestana, aye. Commissioner Anish. Commissioner Anish? Commissioner Anish did mention that um, her data is a little weird. Um, I will come back. Commissioner Utting. Utting, aye. Um, Commissioner Colleen. Colleen, aye. Commissioner Pimentel. Aye. Pimentel, aye. Commissioner Barker Plummer. Barker Plummer, aye. Commissioner Hum. Aye. Hum, aye. Um, Commissioner Shaw. Aye. Shaw, aye. Commissioner M. Aye. M, aye. Um, Commissioner Hillman. Aye. Hillman, aye. Chair Wynn. Aye. Wynn, aye. Commissioner Anish? Absence. Um, Is there something in the chat? Um, Commissioner Anish mentioned that at 707 saying uh, that um, her internet went out, but um, she's using data, but she might not be able to respond because of data. Um, so with 14 eyes and one absent, um, the motion passes. Hey. Hey. Just a quick clarification. Do you also want us to send this to um, like state representatives that have like worked on like the speed enforcement cameras legislation? Okay, we, I'll just make a note of that. Yeah, yeah, we can talk about it also. Okay. Um, well, congrats to Commissioner Colleen Miller and myself for passing this resolution. Okay. Um, looking forward to further work on this. Um, okay. Is there any public comment on this item of the agenda? Why are you asking on this item of the agenda? You, I thought you asked. For, I asked for no. public comment on the motion. Oh, um, chair, you have no public comment. 
Madam Chair, you have no public comment. Public comment is not closed. Um, staff, can you please call item number eight? Item number eight is the 2023-2024 budget and policy priorities first reading and discussion item. Um, so, did you want to ask that? Sure. Thanks. Um, oh, I don't know. 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 I don't I think our plan is to go through them. We don't have to read the text, like all of them, into the record because we would be here forever. Um, we are going to read into the record the title, and I would do the title and then like the subtitle if there is one. I think on yeah, which is essentially a summary of our finding. Um, and then I think we'll have a moment to see if anyone has anything to say. If we have a general consensus, we can kind of move forward. If not, and I highly encourage people to not feel like they have to be in consensus. Um, we can we can uh, talk about it, and that will be facilitated by a chair win. Um, and I think we will also do when it seems necessary, uh, like strong poll as a is currently in favor of the current proposal versus who isn't. Um, although for some of them, I think it will be less necessary. So basically, the goal is get through the ones that everyone kind of agrees with, um, and then we can spend time on the ones that don't get feedback and, and go from there. Um, and then we'll have two weeks until March. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Until March sixth, which is when we'll have our final reading of this, and we will vote um, on the BPPs. I'm wondering if staff can clarify for me, are we voting on individual PPPs or are we voting on them as a package? I believe individually on March 6th. Oh no, I thought it would be a package, but it's up to the discretion of the I mean, commission. Why? Because I would assume that you all would also have some debates as well. I would say individual. Well, my thinking was, I think it would be good to vote individual and then to the whole package because it's also like, I want to make sure we just cover the bases in terms of voting for that one. And, he, and that will allow commissioners who say didn't want to vote for water bank requirements to support the rest of them to be able to Okay, the motion. I think it's known if you vote for that. Huh? That's a, Which motion? The motion. They would not. Yeah, yeah. Like a so final motion. That 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 I think we should. Like how it looks. We can do it. be approved by like staff or something. Yeah, yeah. I think that would be good just because. Oh, how it looks like just the design. I think we can um, talk about that on the March 6th. Well, for everything? No, yeah, this is March 6th. Okay. So we can. So to make sure, like, if you're talking about, well, it would be like a drop over each of these now. Isn't that talking about getting consensus now? We're talking, sorry. My idea, proposal that I'm going to do a forward or not. Yeah, um, it's for the ones today that we feel like we have consensus around, but there's a specific one them. I think that we can just sort of come to that conclusion and if someone has an issue, we can talk about it. Mm -hmm. And then today, the only voting we would do would be if there's one that we, you know, want to see where people are on it. If there's a lot of debate. I don't know if you can do an action such as voting because on the agenda it says discussion item. Do something like raise your hand if 
I mean, I, I just want to take action on anything. How about if we just go over to the same place? So everyone has time to actually leave. It has, by the time we need to have to be in every hopefully pass. And we're calling it. I think it would be good to just like get consensus where it's needed today, which is what mm -hmm. we're going to do. Or if people have an issue, sorry, Chair, if, if, if people have an issue with a particular BPP, they should just vocally state it and then y'all could have a conversation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll try to get everyone to get going. So like if there's like no discussion because like people feel like they, there is nothing to discuss, then like you can just move on. And I think it already is, um, I'm not sure if you were going to cover this, Vice Chair Parker Plummer, but like debate on content, but like please don't be so nitpicky on like yeah. footnotes and grammar. Yeah, and the footnotes, Especially right now, like, like not even in footnote form, because there's no point in doing that until yeah. staff have put together the BPP, which they can't do until we have solid content to do that. Yeah. So you're saying how many BPPs are there currently? Total? Um, like a hundred. I'm joking. Um, no, it's like six, nine, six plus nine, nine plus four, thirteen. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> sure. It's one. Yeah. Also, like, um, but that was another question. Like, are you are you then saying that we should take fifteen motions votes? Um, no, we're not. Okay. At the next March, yes, yes. thirty-sixteen, fifteen motions. Sure. Yes. I hope everyone can. I feel like it should be on record. It's a new. It's not forfeited or closed. We can do. We could do. We could do one motion. People, it could be like I don't know. This is how they used to be, like consent hours, where like people can hold things like do separately. Like we can vote to like we'll go through ten that we all agree on, and then the five controversial ones. Yeah. We take. I think let's have this conversation later. Because we need to focus like what's here now, and we don't have a focus on Does anyone um, just does anyone have any questions, clarifying questions about the procedure for today or that one? Well, I was going to add on to what you said. Sure. In addition to reading the heading and the subheading, I think it would be good if everyone could like give a summary on the recommendations, um, just so that it's more clear. Because some of that is reflected in the heading and subheading, but some of it isn't. So um, it might be helpful. Um, so, are we good to move along? Do people have questions? I think we're good. Okay. Um, should we, we can start off in the order that staff provided with the packet. Uh, do commission, commissioners online have everything, right? Are we good? Yeah. So, many days. Um, so okay. we can start off with the recreational spaces one. Who should? Oh. Yeah. I could also okay. Commissioner Anish, are you there? I think that's I think she is having theta issues. It's not I did. Okay. Okay, great. So expanding access to youth centered recreational spaces. The San Francisco Youth Commission urges for the government's needs and expansion of the Slow Street program. Increased access to transit services to car free JFK and Golden Gate Park. The study of making other streets car free. The expansion and investment in parks all throughout the city. The funding of public transportation to Camp Mather and the Marin Headlands. And funding and resources for the mix at SFPL. Um, 
And in terms of the recommendations for this one, um, many of them are uh, self-explanatory, uh, like from the name and the description, but we want um, funding and support to maintain the Slow Streets program. Um, we want outreach um, to expand parking spaces. Um, we want to support funding for the restoration of the 76X bus with places to run headlands and a bus for some of the summer session weeks at Camp Mather. Um, we want to support the San Francisco Recreation and Parks Department in promoting the usage and improving the quality of parks in um, equity zones throughout the city. And um, we want to invest and expand resources at the San Francisco Public Library's um, the mix space, which is like basically a team room in the main library that in addition to like books, also provides access to different like technologies, like I've done 3D printing there and just other, other things such as that. I, I 3D printed the bus. Oh. <laughs> Thank you. Are there any questions? Seeing none. Do people feel in favor of this proposal generally? Yes. Do you want to get a vibe check on like the folks yeah. online too? Line commissioners just say yes if you are in support of this BPP. Or like no. if they have questions or something, I don't know. No, it looks good to me. Yeah, seems strong. Ah, uh, good. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, okay, the next is Vision Zero, which is the one that I wrote. Um, so address Vision Zero, San Francisco Youth Commission urges for the reconvening of the Vision Zero Task Force, the reintroduction of a pilot program for automated speed enforcement, the follow through and expedition of SFMT safety and equipment projects, especially in your schools, funding for Vision Zero projects, and consistent and broad enforcement from SFPD on the focus of the five on the high internet network. And um, yeah, I would say the recommendations are reflected in the subheading. It's just like reconvening the task force on looking at making a pilot program for automated speed enforcement in San Francisco again. Um, and then, you know, urging the SFMTA to make their um, quick build projects quicker. Um, and then, you know, prioritizing traffic calming and slow police safety initiatives in their schools, as well as um, urging SFPD to do like consistent enforcement all throughout the city. Um, Especially on focus on the five and on the high internet network. But that's that's basically it. Do people have comments or questions? <laughs> Seeing none, do we feel good about this one? Great. Okay. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, okay, do you want to go over this? Sure. Um, so the next one is uh, making transportation services accessible and reliable for youth. Um, the San Francisco Youth Commission urges the resources and funding to restore 100% of SFMTA transit routes and the expansion of the school trooper program. Um, so essentially, uh, the recommendations here are that. Um, we recommend restoring uh, full muni service uh, routes at, at the minimum. It doesn't necessarily mean that every route will have the same amount of like service. Like it might not be as often necessarily as it was before, but just providing like that um, 
mobility. Um, some routes that came to mind just had like a high youth impact were the 28R, which serves a lot of schools like along 19th Avenue, Lowell, Lincoln, SF State, um, those, as well as the 47 uh, here along Van Ness. Um, Van Ness has seen some like really great ridership or growth after the BRT lanes were implemented. So that's a very important corridor as well. Um, also, uh, one of the main constraints for Vandy right now is um, funding and hiring um, uh, drivers. So we want to uh, try to encourage additional funding to go towards that because, um, and it's not just drivers actually, it's positions like mechanics and like um, operations staff like in the control center and stuff are also um, positions that they're struggling to fund and fill. Um, and we also want to encourage the MCA to expand their school tripper program which we have the presentation on um, to better match like the, the populations of the schools and to ensure that um, students are not being passed out by those requirements. Great. Um, thank you, Jessica. Any objections or questions? Um, my question around uh, yeah, um, just around asking the SMK to resolve all of the pandemic lines, especially considering that the budget SMK has this true in every city department is tight right now. Um, and I'm wondering if it's worth like restarting something that was pre-pandemic. The world is very different now. Like have you considered looking into other ways of determining what we should and shouldn't be returning and what you know should be changed in the future as opposed to going back to three pandemic levels. I guess my question is like is that a realistic ask budget wise and is that necessarily the direction we want them to go in comparison to like looking forward? Um so I just say that um the the resolution um or well any of the transit services that aren't running right now um actually one of them just got restored today but one express um but most of the services that aren't running today are the express buses that previously went downtown. And um, maybe it could be added, added to like, clarify that like mainly what this is talking about is not the express routes, which are, you know, primarily, you know, downtown commuters, but it's more of like the neighborhood lines, like on the west side of the city, such as the 28R, you know, we're like going through a lot of like, um, you know, neighborhoods where it's not so much, even if it's going through so much, you know, the 47 is serving, you know, a lot of people would use it to access. There's a Costco, there's a Trader Joe's, like in Soma, and a lot of different businesses and schools along like the Van Ness corridor, such as like Galileo High School. Um, and, you know, a lot of these corridors, um, Van Ness and 19th Avenue in particular, have seen um, above average, you know, ridership returns because the routes that kind of are focused on here are like the neighborhood routes or like, Another one is the 10 Townsends that are, are less focused on downtown than like the express routes. So maybe that could be an added um, clarification. But I, I do think it's an important. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, it's not necessarily restoring, you know, the same number of like service hours or like buses, you know, it's just having the route there at the bare minimum so that people who depend on it, you know, can use it, acknowledging that there may not be as many riders now, but there's still the need for the service. I would just say, I think it's important to clarify that in the BPP to make it clear that it's not like 100% of everything that was before. I don't know if this is what I you're the author, but like, I don't know if we necessarily want to say, um, return all the pandemic 
service or the well, I don't know what branch the exact branch is. If it's a transit loops, I mean, I guess I'm just like at a time when downtown is not the center of or it's not as much of an economic center as it was before. We want to have those buses that would be doing express lines there going another route. It's just something to consider. Yeah, no, I didn't really hear you about the express routes. I would also note, though, that like the SFMTA during the pandemic, they launched the 15 uh, Bayview Hunters Point Express, which is basically like a, a brand new express bus connecting you know, Bayview Hunters Point to downtown. And it's seen, you know, incredible growth, you know, a line that didn't really exist before the pandemic is now bringing, you know, more than 3,000 people, you know, per day into downtown. And part of, you know, like one of the mayor's, you know, budget priorities is, you know, downtown revitalization recovery. And, you know, it's really important that people do have transportation access to downtown, but I do acknowledge that, you know, many of those routes were focused on like financial district commuters, which may not be as much of a youth audience. So I think it's, yeah. Great. Any other questions? For people online? Uh, seeing none, we can move on to the next one, which is the housing one. Um, what did you, or Commissioner Wong, did you want to start and pass it off? Okay. All right. So um, we're supporting youth and transitional age youth experiencing homelessness. Um, subheading is the San Francisco Youth Commission urges the city and county of San Francisco to further increase its efforts to address the homeless crisis in San Francisco, particularly among youth under the age of 25, by exploring the opening of an additional navigation center solely focused on serving transitional aged youth, lessening the burden placed on caseworkers at navigation centers by hiring additional staff, and expanding upon existing services available at navigation centers across San Francisco. Um, I can quickly go over the recommendations. So one of our first one was to open an additional TA navigation center. Uh, basically, this would, as it says in the recommendation, that it would ideally not be in close proximity to the existing TA navigation center at High Street, just to be in, you know, a neighborhood that's more higher resourced. Um, so the constantly youth that are staying there can have access to other facilities. And then the second one was to hire more case managers to ensure an adequate ratio of case managers to residents. Um, staff members can get really, uh, and case managers can get really burnt out if they're working with too many, um, you know, um, people. And they can get both of them can, to build like strong relationships with others when they have too much on their hands. Um, the last one was to increase funding for development of on-site services, just so that you know um, services don't have to be far away and inaccessible from the uh, navigation centers and um, uh, table housing. Great. Um, what about it? Are there any questions or objections for the commissioners? Um, I had a concern. I was wondering about the feasibility of um, creating an additional state navigation center. I wonder if you should know how effective the current one has been. Like, it just seems like a big ask to fund an entirely new one without knowing how the current one's been performing. Well, um, what I'll add is, you know, right now, um, because, you know, about 84% of 
uh, transitional age youth and youth in San Francisco aren't sheltered, I think that, you know, that shows that there's, you know, a demand for more beds and that this is an urgent action that we need to take. And, you know, I think the investment, um, you know, they, they opened the, the last one just a couple of years ago. I think that there's there's going to be need for more. Um, but does that mean? Okay. Well, just to sort of add on to that, um, like it, the navigation center itself is not for permanently housing transitional APU. So even if we have eighty four percent plus still on you know on the street homeless, if the current one isn't being effective at getting that eighty four percent, it could be and it might be that we just need more. But I haven't seen evidence that the current one is or is not effective. And I don't think we have enough to really spare on that yet to urge the city to open an entirely new K navigation center. Well, the, the existing one only has 75 beds. But does that... Is it full? Um, as of right now, I'm not sure of their, the, 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 um, the capacity. I'm, I'm not, I'm not, the capacity 75, um, I'm not sure about the real-time occupancy. I'm I think this does make it clear that there are youth needs that are not being met, but my question is, is the current solution effective at meeting those needs? And do we need to replicate that, or do we need to revisit what's being done right now? Because I'm unclear if the current Tay Navigation Center is, is currently effective. Um, I think we need to definitely look more into that, but I think the idea behind it was just so that there could be an additional location that wasn't um, as well as provide them that it's not just like, you know, like this full right now. But we're looking into that. Yeah. I would just add that, you know, with a lot of these services, like I was talking to my supervisor, supervisor Preston, like about the Tenderloin Pitch Center, a lot of these like um, facilities that are in place to like support, um, especially unhoused people are from the, the community directly around it, like 98% of the people going to the Tenderloin Linkage Center were from like the Tenderloin, like surrounding blocks, like not even that many people, you know, less than like 2% were even like coming like from like Soma or like Mission Bay into there. So it's very like localized. So, you know, it may be that a lot of, uh, you know, homeless uh, individuals, you know, who are like on the west side of the city or like in the southeast section of the city, you know, they, they may have barriers um, in accessing um, this facility or they may not feel that like this facility understands like their like local like, neighborhood culture like, needs and stuff. So I think it, it's important to have just like more geographic access throughout the, the city. Like, of course, it's a relatively like small city, but I still believe it's important. Um, I, I agree with Hayden. I think that we mentioned this in our first recommendation that having a, a, a navigation center that's not necessarily in proximity to the one that's on the hide right now would would be would go a long ways towards yeah addressing the the needs of homeless individuals who maybe live miles away from the current navigation center, and it would just improve access. I agree that localization is important. Um, I just want to understand what's happening with the current Tay Navigation Center so that you know if it's a good idea whether or not to replicate an entirely new one. 
And then the only other thing that came up for me reading through this one was um, you encourage increasing our production services being near to where hey, you are being um, temporarily housed, being navigated through, um, and and like you mentioned, supportive housing as well. I guess I, I the, the line between home production and sort of enabling um, uh, addiction is is relatively unclear, and there are stories recently. Of, not, I don't know about initial issues, but of these um, supportive housing spaces being, uh, you know, sort of overrun by people addicted to drugs in a way that they aren't really getting better from. So I'm wondering if you have any ideas on how the city could address that, or if you've looked into that, and like, I mean, there's only housing is only one part of the equation, is an important part. Making sure people not only are having a bomb reduced, but are also like making progress in in that area as well as important. Um, I, I think. Oh. Um, we we can both uh, we can both talk about this, but I think you may, you raise an important point, Ewan. Um, I know that they talked about safe use sites. Um, we had someone come in here present a few weeks ago, and also I know Supervisor Stephanie mentioned like the line between harm reduction and enabling. When I had her when when I had my one on one with her, so this is an important issue. But I guess it goes beyond the scope of this resolution. So I think that you know that's an important issue, but. Um, I think that just in, in, in services, you know, it's such a broad topic, you know, expanding services at, at navigation centers. And I think that there's, you know, there's a lot of room there that doesn't involve, um, you know, enabling drug use. So I, I think that I think that that's a little bit of a different issue, although it's absolutely important. I'm just going to say the same thing because I talked about it with my chance while during my one-on-one. <laughs> um, and yeah, so I think I was just using it as an example for like what type of services are like unavailable. Um, maybe I should clarify the language a bit more so that it seems like I'm not just sort of focusing on production centers um, in general, because it kind of makes it seem like that's what we're talking about. But I think I'm just using it as an okay. yeah. No, I think it's, I, I appreciate the work that you both have done about and I, I do for the records of all on production, I just accept that it's online. Yeah. It needs to be set up. Um, but it also, again, it feels to have a very few um, I had a question. I, I know, like, in your background section, you mentioned, like, um, it's very hard for a lot of youth to get into supportive housing, but it wasn't addressed as a recommendation. Um, so, were you, like, considering making that a recommendation or just, like, leaving that in your process? So, I mean, I think I initially did want to make a recommendation, but it was kind of difficult to find a lot of groups because. Even if I did go down, and I did, I did go. I went to the Dolores Street Market Exchange Services to see people and just sort of asked about the whole process of like, you know, how would we be getting into housing and whatnot. And um, I just wasn't sure how to like incorporate that. And it was a bit difficult to like find a lot of evidence, like part like that, um, concrete evidence online. And I didn't want to sort of just throw it in there, like, oh, I went to this place and talked to these people, and I didn't really have anything solid. Um, so I kind of just put it in there for context, and then I got rid of my recommendation because I felt like it was a thorough. And I did. I, I was, yeah, I was. It was a little bit too vague, and I feel like I wanted. I wanted to have recommendations that were more specific and um, just more. I don't know. 
And then recommendations are basically the same as what we passed, but it's urging to identify documents and to complete the study so that we can understand whether the pre-made removal would be helpful and beneficial um, and then applying to grants so that they can actually study and then also center the voices of marginalized groups um, and ensure that they're involved in this process. Questions? Yes. I think it was maybe mentioned during um, exec, but I I agree that like this is one where I think a visual would be like very helpful for showing like Obsidia or Jim Barbara like before and after because it's really like stark like you know like the the like beautiful waterfront that everybody like sees now like the tourists go to you know used to be this like you know you couldn't even see the ferry building was like covered by a double decker like freeway so I think that's um. Yeah. That's the only image you recommend. I mean, y'all are smart. Y'all, y'all, like, I don't know. It's something that's like, ooh, okay. old bad freeway. Oh, yay, new. I have one. I just haven't put it in. Sounds good. Thank you. Also, because I, I don't know how to attribute it. Um, like, do I got to ask? I mean, we pull like quotes and stuff. And it's just, it's okay. I, I yeah. We can deal with that offline. Yeah. Um, thanks for the recommendation. Does anyone else have any questions or objections? Do people online have anything? Um, I guess I'll just ask about the, the third suggestion, which is centering the voices of, of our marginalized communities. Um, I, I guess I'm, I'm just wondering, like, how we do that? Because I know that, you know, this was an issue, uh, like, a, a while ago when a group came in and, and presented to us and said that they were opposed to the, um, to the resolution that you introduced. Um, and I, I guess it's I, I I know we want to include this language of you know centering groups and and that's a really important thing to do but I know that like I'm just wondering how we tackle that challenge when you have groups that are gonna come after and up come off come come after us and this is like that that's that's their front for for doing so. Yeah, I'd say that like um, the language is broad for a reason because people that are invested in the removal of the Central Freeway are like still trying to figure that out. But something that I talked to um, Daniel Owens about recently, who's the leader of Vision Boulevard, he was saying that um, in order to like center the voices of marginalized groups, there's you could do like like outreach with them, or you could just do like more listening sessions, like after you complete the study, or like while you're completing the study, just like holding discussions and roundtables to ensure that everyone's a part of the discussion. Um, but that's that's something that people are still figuring out. Um, so I'm not entirely sure. Those are some ideas. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it'll definitely like require like a, a public process. Um, and I think like, you know, it's important that, you know, people are heard on because I think, you know, part of outreach is there's always, you know, two sides to the issue. So, you know, you're gonna have Vision Boulevard and you're gonna have, you know, uh, the community groups and you know, part of that is like you're gonna find like a balance. And there I think there's definitely like compromises because I don't know at least what I've seen is there's like I, I don't know if there's actually that much debate around like the removal of the freeway or more what happens after and I think that's that's kind of the key is like you know is what's the is the replacement gonna center the community or is it gonna be you know what whoever has the nicest website wins you know so I, I think it's important that the outreach happens and yeah great any other questions? 
Okay, seeing none, uh, you for all you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah, so that is you. Okay. Yay. Um, <laughs> so long ago. Oh, no. Um, made free uni for all youth permanent. Yes. Um, the San Francisco Youth Commission urges for the continued promotion and funding for free uni for youth by including it in the baseline SFMTA budget. Um, the recommendations are essentially that um, continuing to fund the Purple Youth Program and including it in like the baseline budget because I think currently right now it is actually part of the, the baseline um, where it's like it's no longer being funded by like a board of supervisors like supplemental like money that they're being given but it's just really important it like stays that way because otherwise it's just kind of like on the chopping block every time, like it just gets a budget cut. Um, so we want to do that. We want to apply for grants, um, you know, to fund the program if possible. I know the the state has a low carbon transit operations program, LC Top, that like other um, municipalities, Santa Cruz just recently started a free uh, transit for youth program there using that like grant funding, and Google also paid for. The initial uh, means tested free meaning for youth program for several years. So there's definitely possible grant funding opportunities out there. And then uh, continuing to promote the program, especially at like the beginning of the school year when people are going back to school, just to make sure that everybody's aware and can utilize the program. Any questions or objections? That makes sense. <laughs> uh, okay, thank you so much. Um, moving on to the closing juvenile hall one. Yes. Um, just some clarifications. Um, I'm going to get, change the title yes. and the recommendations. Um, but I guess we're going to go by what's written on. No, we should read the comment that we have. So we changed. We just changed the title. Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. So yeah. Yeah. I can explain the changes. Yes. Um. But like basically, before the heading was uh urging for the complete closure of the novel, but then we reframed it to um better reflect like what we actually wrote about in the BDP, which is you know funding organizations and departments and also like um taking the time to look at alternatives that make sense um and like accepting money to the state in order to like understand those alternatives. Um but yeah you'll see when we read our head. Yes. So our new heading is alternatives to youth and traditional age youth incarceration. And then we also changed the little sub thing. And, and now it says the San Francisco Asian Commission supports a finalized plan for NEPA's new and improved facility in alignment with state law and California grants and demands continued financial support for the Juvenile Justice Center and other existing departments and organizations that support Yeah, so don't, it's it's not the same as the one that you have in the packet. It's like, it's making a new plan that's in alignment with the state law. Yeah, it's on the Google Doc. That might be easier. So basically, no, no, because the recommendations it's just it's just the heading that's different because the recommendations are the same, but it wasn't reflected in that. Yeah, here you can look at it if you want. I guess I don't know. No, we didn't change the recommendations. We never asked for the closure. 
so in the in the subtitle you refer to a, a new facility. I don't know if, because I feel like there's a lot of like potential to like transform the existing space um, and like maybe like remodel the building or just make changes. I I just don't understand the whole concept of like tearing down a, a relatively functional building and um, you know building something. Like, I don't know, new facility just, it just sounds expensive too. Um, when we have something that I think we could like renovate for like cheaper, maybe that requires like a temporary like alternative, but also it's it's so large that they're only using such a small portion. Which is why okay, I don't want to like, I just, I don't, I feel like it's such a huge place to only house like 20. Like it's really big and a huge lot of land. When that plot of land adds to the village that we want to live, it can be used to like build affordable housing on it if the facility was smaller. So, but what they could do, right? Let's say, like, you know, they, they have half the facility. But also, the Board of Supervisors voted on closing down to an two years ago. So they can't just like, I guess they could just go back on that decision and this just make a new one to like specifically launch it. Five years ago? Supposed to close. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Five years ago. Um, and if they're, they're already like, you know, if they already voted on it, then why are we, you know, I don't know. Because they're going to have one. What? Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm not confused. I'm just. I, I just think this is No, I, I, I want to reiterate the point. I want to really reiterate the point that Commissioner Mellon made, which is we have a very. It's a large building. Yeah. I think that that's an opportunity to make a better space here. I'll also say, like Chief Miller said, it does youth who are found. What, what is the terminology? It's not guilty. They're like committed or like they're not sentenced. Did you say guilty? Committed? But they're like it's sentenced. Yeah, it's guilty. Yeah, it's guilty. Who are convicted of a crime and need to be housed in a juvenile facility? They need a permanent place to go. Yes. The current state of juvenile hall, I don't think, is that place. Is that place? Yeah. I think that the size of it means that we need to take that into consideration when we look at how we're going to change that space to make it acceptable. After visiting Juvenile Hall, there's a lot of things that need improvement. I don't think that we need to reinvent the wheel necessarily. And I think it's worth us thinking about the amount of money it would cost in comparison to how much money could also go into other violence intervention programs. That would, go to, that would go to tearing that down. The, re the reality is that there are young people who commit crime who need to be held in the facility. And I think that we should be looking at ways to do that as effectively as possible, as humanly as possible. Um, and I, I feel that the best way to do that is to look at how we can change this facility and improve the existing facility that is still relatively new and functioning well. And doing what the main space for these people. I have a question regarding that. The, the state grant that can only be used for a new center, right? Yes, that's so, the requirement. So that's why we can't use it for the existing. Well, 
and to add on to that, one thing that one idea that I was toying with was that if we have this money, and I don't think we necessarily need to take down the current group now at all. Then what are you going to do with it? My kids are supposed to be closed down. Well, what are the capital changes in the facility? Should we let them know that? So, if we were to say use the current facility and transform it, because there's going to be two sections of. Yeah, I, we correct me if I'm wrong, but the grant is for capital changes for the existing building. Yeah, I thought it was to build a new one. No, there is Gavin Newsom had one to build a new one, like a 20. That was the realignment, they've changed. They gave, they gave funding to local municipalities and county level to then kind of, they just basically like, we're not doing juvenile justice, we're decentralizing it to the communities. And so, from what I remember, um, what's her name? Um, Director Chief Miller. Chief Miller. Chief Miller, she was saying that we don't want to invest in improvements if there's a possibility that we have to tear down this building because then we, that would be a waste of money. So they can't spend that money on that building, but it's just they don't know what the next steps so are because the board and the mayor don't want to take the Yes, sorry. Just our information. Yeah, yeah, to clarify, they are using that money to do some changes in the facility, and that was determined like a few weeks ago. Um, also, there is a thirty-six million dollar debt from the existing building, so they have to pay that off first before having a, a new building. So one million dollars or the two point six million that they got from the realignment is not even enough to pay the current debt and then to create a new building. They most likely will need double the amount to clear their debt and then establish like a location and then like building and it'll probably be like fifty to eighty million. Yeah, I believe um Supervisor Ronan also said that one million can be spent within a week. And um, their office is currently looking for grants from the state level and county and, uh, and like federal. and federal. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, like one million is nothing. Yeah. Can I like also add something? So this issue is very complex. It is. Like any recommendation you give will be like a quarter of what actually needs to be done. So for my thing is like, I think y'all have general ideas of what your recommendations will be. Mm -hmm. Go go with that. Yeah. Because with this recommendations, it won't fix all the issues currently in the juvenile justice center and department. And I want to say this. Wait, sorry. Go ahead. These recommendations, like all this information, could be updated. Also, like no, I mean like not updated like in your BVP, but like. Some information can change right, like from month to month because yeah. there's so many factors into this and like what you propose now like could have changed like next week by like another department. So like just go with what you have. I think like one of the main things that we were talking about was just like since we're kind of in this like gray area where 
many people don't know what's going to happen next. Like, there's so many grants, and, like, people don't know what it's used for. And I think, like, the Austin or Commissioner Green and I just like want clarity. Like, we want, you know, enough funding so that the juvenile justice center right now can be sustained and funding so that, you know, CBOs that are doing work to support youth who experience incarceration have enough funding to be sustained as well. But also, like, we just want people to, like, understand what they're going to do. So we could reframe it so that there's, like, push on the board of supervisors to develop a plan and then like kind of talk about our vision for that plan without having a concrete ask. But I think we, we definitely should talk about it more. So, so maybe having a conversation with staff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Commissioner Freeman and I are gonna meet with our board of supervisors to be pushed back to March. Uh, oh, that's past the due date for the your advocacy can change within these next few months. Like, this is just a guideline for you all. So, like, um, if something does change, it changes. Maybe we can get more open-ended. Yeah, so we have to, like, finalize a plan yeah. or a facility that's grounded in wellness. Like, like what? Yeah, yeah. Like, another one. Have, have a plan, but have a vision for that plan. Yeah. Without saying what we exactly like yes. want. Yes. Um, oh, I was just going to ask. So, like, mm -hmm. if if the BBPs are approved, right? And let's say let's say that the commission, for whatever reason, this is hypothetical, folks, that we don't want free immunity for all you. Can I still, if I have a meeting with my supervisor, can I still say, well, I personally think you know we should have free immunity for all you? Or like when the youth commission votes, does that mean I'm no longer able to to say that? I think. In like public comment, um, you cannot speak on behalf of the commission, but you can bring this issue to your district supervisor, your appointing officer, and be like, "This is just like my push to like hopefully have you like go introduce a resolution or an ordinance regarding this topic." I see. Yeah, um, I guess exactly. Our recommendations are obviously we're gonna have to uh, change them, but. They were just like very similar to what our new um job is, which is like continue supporting uh CBOs and organizations that support youth and provide all progression and development. And then uh increased funding for the UL Business Center for their email funding from like needed clothing programs equipment and resources available for young people. And then um I mean based on the conversations. I was having with Chief Miller and Commissioner Pimentel was like work with the state account courts to finalize a, a decision on a new journal hall facility and location. Um, but I think we're not going to change the third and fourth Yeah. I don't know. I, I think it's maybe not like so big of an issue necessarily, but like in number two, and I just wrote like as I was writing this myself, like I don't know, I think it's like really important that we have like measures to ensure that's like what the money is actually like spent on and it doesn't go into like you know administrative you know, part of money. Somewhere. You know, yeah, like you know, you give a department money, okay, what are they gonna I, I think it's really important that you know we there's like oversight to make sure that it's actually going towards, you know, clothing, food, you know, programs, equipment. And maybe being more specific in terms of like what programs or equipment is that I don't know. I could say anything is equipment, I feel like. Great, thank you. Are there any other questions from people online? 
Um, this is very similar to the um, resolution of breast expand. They can measure for youth drug-related death, but funding on our campus and all different things. The commission urges the implementation of an argument program and seems to be able to run for the company with that capacity to And the recommendation is basically things like uh, by what's good in my resolution. So, Grant um, additional funds that the Department of Public implemented. Um, there are a lot of grants that California gives um, for the naloxone, so apply to those. Um, implement an naloxone distribution product, it's a suitable public, private charter schools, in collaboration with the Department of Public Care Services, drug overdose prevention education project. Um, and then ensure that schools have a proportion of boxes that are locked on being appropriate by the Department of Public Health, um, and so on. Oh, yeah, um, I just saw on number five. Um, okay, I guess it says it. Um, San Francisco students and the parents of. Okay, so like the schools, like we're giving, I don't know, like, I just think it's interesting, like that we, we like give it to the parents, like through the school. Because I guess it just needs to be like, a, like where's the money coming from? Because I don't know if I want, you know, SFUSD like education money, or like I don't know if it's coming from TPH, but like going to like giving it to people's parents. Like I guess it's fine. It's whatever. Sorry, I don't know. I wrote that note not seeing that it listed students as well, but it was just parents. But it's okay. <laughs> Sorry, it's it's. <laughs> Do we have to say um, youth drug related deaths? Can we just say like drugs? Expand safety measures for drugs? Uh, can you say <laughs> Interacting the commissioner. Oh, I was. Do you need the youth drug related deaths? Can you just say like expand drug safety measures? Sure. Yeah, I can do that. Okay. <laughs> Just in the, oh, yeah. Chairwin, content, content focus. That's like the heading. Oh, that is the heading? <laughs> Obviously, it's 8.30. <laughs> okay. okay, great. Um, moving on to the next, is Commissioner Shaw, are you able to present? Yes, I can. So, um, the BPP I worked on was urging San Francisco to bear the responsibility in restoring Bayview Hunters Point. Subheading being the San Francisco Youth Commission urges the mayor and board of supervisors to bear the responsibility of replenishing Bayview Hunters Point environmentally to sustain the community for future generations. So basically what this BPP kind of covers is uh, the reality of Bayview Hunters Point and considering as a prime example of environmental racism, looking historically at this neighborhood, um, it goes all the way back to the 1800s when um, it was a, uh, originally a naval shipyard uh, that conducted a lot of radiological experiment, experimentation for war. Um, and the implications of that has caused a lot of health benefits um, and just devastated the land for the most part. And so fast forward to recent times, the Navy was commissioned to clean up um, the site, um, but it hasn't gone through as was supposed to be planned. And so right now, there have been multiple uh, studies that have been conducted locally, but not necessarily on a citywide level. Uh, recently, there was a grand jury 
that uh, released a report on the risk of rising groundwater and the impact of the Naval Shipyard has is having on um, Bayview Hunters Point on all different types of levels. Um, and so recently there was a, a resolution that was passed, um, but there uh, were some gaps in that, which is going to be covered in the um, and the recommendations. Um, and so another big issue of worry is about the building of more infrastructure and how that can lead to gentrification. Um, so basically my recommendations uh, that are written is the 2022-2023 San Francisco Youth Commission urges the mayor and board of supervisors to one, implement the entirety of the 2021-2022 civil grand jury report, uh, including R1, R4, R5, R7, um, and F1, F2, and F3, so that adequate environmental changes can be made for the benefit of all Bayview Hunters Point residents. Two, create policies to contain and limit the expansion of future infrastructure developments to prevent gentrification in Bayview Hunters Point and conduct a thorough review of the possible contamination in the water and soil. And finally, fund community initiatives such as the BVHP, Youth Environmental and Climate Justice Leadership Academy, and the Bayview Hunters Point Environmental Justice Task Force to include the community's voice and needs in the future development and endeavors associated with the Naval Shipyard and Bayview Hunters Point as a whole. So that concludes my spiel. Great. Are there any questions or objections? Um, I guess I sort of just have a general concern over this one. I'm wondering if we can soften the language a little bit uh, around the DEG itself. I don't know if we should urge staff to prepare the. I just think it's the wording of it. I think that's asked actually to speak it up as soon as possible. And this is like a blatant on that part. I don't think that the responsibility necessarily actually falls to the city and county. I think it ultimately falls to the Navy. So I'm wondering if there's just a way that we can rewrite that a little bit to make like, a chance to, to clean it up immediately and pursue action to hold the Navy accountable for for it. I know, I mean seriously like like Sam's school should be suing the Navy. They like left um I'm sure yeah. I remember learning about this in my English class, and it's like the reason why I think I'm not not to put words in Commissioner Charles' mouth, but like the reason why I think the responsibility is up to the city county is because like this effort has been conducted for so long, and so many people haven't taken any kind of responsibility, like on a federal level, because Hunter Point isn't the only like toxic site from the Navy. You know, like they have so many others as well and like they teach it in textbooks and it's just like it's isn't that crazy like yeah, yeah i learned about it in english it was just like okay. you could just say like restore and clean, clean up and restore i don't know it's just a thought i i i also am more than open to being educated on the issue more than i am but i don't know if it's a responsibility of sand to just go there saying as much as it is the duty of sand Oh, yeah, I, oh, sorry, you can go. Oh, no, whoever's talking, you go ahead and finish and I'll tie in. Okay, no, just to give a, like, some context. So I believe it was last board term, uh, Supervisor Shimon Walton had a hearing mm -hmm. um, just to like have an update on what's like going on with the site. And I know that he, um, 
the Board of Supervisors did invite the Navy to come and address it, and they refused to come to the Board of Supervisors. Yeah, so just like letting you know, like, the Board of Supervisors have, have tried to, like, hold the Navy accountable, but they're not even showing up to hearings where they're, like, being called upon. So. No, yeah, thank you, Alondra, for clearing that up. Um, I guess hearing all the points um, into your concern, Commissioner Barker Plummer, the reason being, I think, why I kind of use this language um, in recognizing the Navy's the ultimate reason for why we're even in this situation to begin with. One of the things that, like, I was kind of reading on is San Francisco has been, um, has received some of the parcels. So, like, the uh, site itself was divided into pieces. They call them parcels. Um, and a few of them have been passed to San Francisco. And so um, that's what, so it's like some of it is SF majority Navy still holds um, has and is supposed to clean up as Alondra mentioned, but they aren't still fulfilling their full duty. So it's kind of like we're in this kind of limbo stage. And one thing that I've been reading about from like more local Bayview um, community, like um, newspapers and initiatives is like at the point that we're in SF because like SF needs to take more of a role instead of just trying to pat the Navy on the back and just kind of take a, um, a push, if you will, to conduct more studies, to take more of the reins in what's happening because we've just been in a limbo for so long. So um, in addressing that, I can definitely like loosen the language up, but to give you context as to why it was kind of like, SF just needs to like get on this because at this rate, the Navy hasn't. That's why I use some of that language. Thank you for, for clarifying that. 100%. I'm, I'm definitely more convinced. That was, that was context I did not have. Great. Are there any other questions? Seeing none? Actually, oh, yeah, go ahead. I don't know. I just thought it was like interesting. Like um, one of the recommendations, number two, mm -hmm. it talks about um, create policies to contain and limit the expansion of future infrastructure developments to prevent gentrification in Baby Hunter's Point. Um, and like, I kind of understand like the notion of like one. There's already like a lot of development that's like happening out there, and we don't want you know a ton of people like being exposed to this. And we also don't want to put like all of the burden of like new housing into like one area, but I think it's just like, like, I don't know how it really ties into the rest of the, you know, it's like, yeah, we should totally like clean this up. But like, what does that have to do with limiting expansion of infrastructure developments? Yeah. So let me make that kind of more clear and I can make this clear also in the BPP. So with the cleaning of the parcels, it means more land, right? And so with that, you see a lot of these companies trying to come in and ultimately build on this existing uh, naval shipyard. But the issues that come with that are twofold. One, that um, it's not clean. Are we sure that these sites are suitable to start building, for instance, like condos and things of that nature that have been talked about? Um, and then two, even with Let's say the studies happen and they're like, oh, it's perfectly safe uh, for companies to build, you know, new condos. That means more housing, yada, yada, yada. The, the issue being it's not just any condos, it's more luxury condos, right? And so then you build um, more condos as an example, and then that can ultimately lead to gentrification um, because they're, they're luxury, they're expensive. And that can ultimately, as that expands, 
can push out the existing community that's there. And so there's just been worry over just future, after going through this process of this future implications of the cleaning of the shipyard and ensuring that the community has a say in what replaces um, the mess, if you will, of the shipyard. So that's why I included that because even with talking about cleaning the shipyard, there's still worry about what's to come after, if that makes sense and answers your question. Yeah, so I don't know, maybe you could like modify the language or something to like specify, mm -hmm. like give the community like a voice in what happens with the land after the cleanup, as opposed to just saying, oh, we don't want any infrastructure developments because I don't know, it's just, you know, we could build affordable housing there, we could put a park there, you know, there's lots of infrastructure that's not necessarily luxury condos that we could. Right use the land for. So, you know, just getting the, the voice of the community on that, as opposed to just saying, let's, let's not develop it at all. Mm -hmm. No, yeah, I can, I can uh, change up that language to make that more clear. <laughs> Are there any other questions? Okay, seeing none, uh, we'll take you. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Uh, well, first of all, thank you all for being here. <laughs> um, you know, thanks for coming to the I have a little. Oh, wow. Um, but I don't know what you want to do. I would just say that's also true. We, there were so many suggestions and edits on this Google Doc that it broke the Google Docs, and none of us could accept the suggestions. Google's not it? Or the comments. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, so that didn't happen. But I'll say, um, so Commissioner Utting and I have been looking into this um, and as other people. Um, and, you know, within the past couple of months, we've met with the security administration, we've met with the district office, with the local bond demand, um, chapter with community advocates, and more. And really our goal in the BPP is to put a time center on our already, on our academic already underway to secure time improvements um, as urgently as possible, as well as just sort of bringing this to the attention of elected officials so that they know that this is an issue that is currently calling to the radar. Um, and with that, I think that is over to you. Do you want to see that? And then I can. Sorry. So, um, provide oversight of and invest in school safety measures for San Francisco students. And our subheading is San Francisco Youth Commission urges for improved physical safety in infrastructure, safe fire firearm information, and then this is separate. This is the end. And these are some subjects. Should we just restate that to restarting the same school? It's not like the only one, but I think it could just be clearer in the yeah. stuff. I'm happy with okay. you. I think that I think it's just a Yeah, yeah. I feel like the program addressing like what you want to ask what we would say. Yeah, yeah. 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 yeah.
like about the recommendations or are we yeah about we want to treat it as like two feet for this because i feel like they're very separate in terms of like getting this Treated like like you're doing right now. No, right now. Like right now, yeah. Yeah. I think that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um. Okay. Um. So we one more recommendation is to request a plan for full safety infrastructure upgrades. Um. We need a clear plan and one that's timely to ensure that those upgrades um can ensure people's safety. Provide oversight on the implementation of this plan. So, take any necessary actions to ensure that school sites are implemented in accordance with SSUC timeline. And um, we have had some meetings with administration from SFU. Oh my gosh. <laughs> we have had some meetings with administration from SFUSD, and it looks like there is a timeline, but that timeline isn't soon enough. So, um, that may also be a further issue. Can I just clarify, there's a timeline for one aspect of school safety that is relatively unimpressive, and then the timeline for the other one is like, if we pass a bond in 2024, yeah. we might get around to doing this at some point. So it's all very dependent, and there's not a ton of transparency or accountability around that, so that's something we want to ensure. Um, and then partner with SFUs to determine and meet funding needs for school safety infrastructure installation. Um, just making sure that the city can work with SFUSD to determine funding gaps um, for infrastructure installation and determine funding sources. Like I mentioned before, a lot of funding is dependent on like the passage of the bond, and we're not entirely sure if that can work out or if that's going to be enough for the safety infrastructure. So, um, oh, and then say firearms going to SFUSD is very firearms Great. Wait. Yeah. Five hours. Do you want to do your feedback? Yeah. Sorry, I don't know. Other people have stuff. Like, I don't have to talk first. Uh, but um, you know, uh, you talked about the timeline for a specific aspect. Was that the Columbine locks? Yeah. So just to. to the Columbine locks are okay. Columbine locks were supposed to have been installed by I think the beginning of the school year. Then the date was something like November after that November break. Then the date was after winter break, and the most recent date we've been given is December of 2023. And that was to add on though, that was delayed because of um, supply chain issues. That's what I was like USB. Said. There were also issues beforehand with they're not being able to block. They're not being able to block. So I I actually believe that. I don't want to. I don't want to. I check managers. Like content managers. Yeah. There's a lot of like bureaucracy that has to happen in order for these to be implemented. I don't want to. I don't want to make it sound like SFUSD admin or like lying, but I think that there's a lot of different moving parts to to this that like sort of hamper that getting installed. Other things like PA systems and door buzzer systems. Um, do schools not already have door buzzers? Most of the schools have been too. They have the little like where you push the button and then you can. There are plenty of high schools in San Francisco that you can just walk onto campus. Well, that's them like failing to like secure the gate, like you know, because well, that's not too. But the door buzzer system should be implemented in those 
Like, like we have a little like a green doorbell thing where you press it and there's like the little camera, like all this almost happens. No, once they do it, they don't. No, but they, they do. This is a this they is don't. Like that was as if you D, they don't. And they were like, that's not true. Yeah. Well, okay. I, I mean, I can't prove something that isn't there, you know, like that they say isn't there. I mean, I'll go and take a picture of it at all. But I don't know. Also, like the point is, like they're installing column blind locks. Like they installed them over this like long weekend at Bull. Like they're they're there today. I don't know. I'm just like like what what's the faster timeline that you're like looking for? Oh, for column blind locks specifically, or you know, like just in general, like or like where do you expect them to get money for these other things? Well, we're looking at that's what we're asking. We're asking the city for money. Well, are you, are you asking for a play? I don't know. That's like just you install them. Okay. Yeah. We're asking for a timeline. We're asking for accountability and we're asking for money. Determine and meet. Okay, determine and meet funding needs. Okay. But like I, I, okay. I, I, I just don't think that the all nine line is gonna happen. <laughs> no, I just don't think it's gonna happen like faster than December. That's how long it's gonna take. It's how long it's gonna take. So our position is that I literally don't understand. If they so what the density has said is that they can be figured out to supply chain issues. In which case I literally don't understand how they would not have enough time over the summer to install them. So doing other things during the summer. I don't know. They have only have a certain. I don't know. But there's okay, so we get asked for guys to do that. Like they're not. Okay, I just don't think like this BPP by the time this budget is approved, it'll be you know July, and then it'll be halfway through. It's fine. It's fine. Well, no, I I appreciate the feedback and the you know, let's get it right. That's what I've done for all of BPPs, so it's more than fair that it's Um. I think it's also worth mentioning that the things that we're looking at are not just um, the, the PA system, which we use during lockdowns and to make other public housing systems. Do we know how many of them are broken right now? No, SFUSD does not have funding allocated to inventory how many of them are not working. So do, how do we know that there are non-working ones? Because there are reports of non-working ones. I think that they said there's a I don't, I have some worry about that. Because don't they say that? I don't want to. As if you said that, I think it's like at least 20 don't have that many places. Probably more. And there's like a certain standard that they're supposed to be so that they like, will, every part of the school will like be met by the audience. Okay. So there's a lot of this is also like, as if hasn't determined yet what they need to put on the bond. Like, like this timeline. My perspective on this is that this timeline is like out of whack with just severity of the safety, the lack of safety infrastructure that is currently in place. And SFUSD has its own budget situation that isn't really our area to look over. But our job is to observe as a professional level issue and to tell them that I think, frankly, the city should also be in a position to step in and possibly help fund these measures. Sure. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, I just like don't because like some of the stuff like I it's like there like I don't know my elementary school and like other like elementary schools and like middle schools they have a little buzzer it's like a little doorbell you walk up you press it they like see you on the camera and then they buzz them in I got like a whole email because I'm still on my middle school yeah, email. I went to Argonne and then I went to Roosevelt and they all have them. Yeah, I'll go and take a picture. The point is not every school is like Argonne or Roosevelt. Like not every school is going to have those buzzer systems, repeating systems that work. There was a 
There was a report last week, maybe two weeks ago now, that talked about the report in here. No, it's like a personal matter. There was a report of. Uh, yeah, do you guys want to talk about this offline? Because it's just like you. Of an, of we, we don't have enough. There was a report of an individual gaining access to a SPSD high school and trapping a student in a bathroom because they were able to get through a door was unsecured in some way or another. So what, I, I just want to understand what your solution is. It's like your solution that every time I like go on or off campus, I'm going to like tap my like badge and it's going to unlock the door. Like what's the solution here? That doesn't apply to every school. Like if you take Lowell, for example, that's that's like a long-term thing. And we're talking about SFUSD. It was more about figuring out as a school, like deciding what doors people use so that you know if someone uses a door that's not commonly used, maybe they're not supposed to be there. But there are some schools that could have that that we think don't have it. And if you want, because I know that we need to like wrap up this conversation. Um, if you want more information on what schools need what upgrades, there's going to be a school site facilities plan released on March 1st or 3rd. One of those dates, they'll be like releasing. What 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 all the upgrades are? What's needed? I just worry so. that this like doesn't really all of the background. It's like you know, it's less than a page of information like on this, and it just talks about like a lot of like bills and like it has this quote of like why this is, but it doesn't really identify the actual like specific issue. It's like oh yeah, these things are great, but like do we actually know like what's there, what's needed? And it's fine if we just say like identify these, but it's like I don't know. It seems like like my just because I've like talked to you about this like before, mm -hmm. I like heard stuff, and it's like you want a timeline that's faster than December, and it, I, I just don't think it's realistic. But it's fine. We can agree on this. Well, we can have a we can have a later discussion. Let's have a, yeah. Let's yeah. have a discussion and about the timeline. To be clear about the not having specifics, it's the answer is that we don't have total specifics. Like that's what SFUSD. They're literally still figuring out what schools do and don't have certain safety upgrades. It's just interesting that there's not like a bigger report on it. I'm, I'm just I'm talking conversation about slides. Other 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 questions. We want to have a conversation about. Okay. Other other questions that we should have regarding this. Commissioner, do you want to? Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, I'll do my quick. <laughs> So the recommendations that are embedded in the sexual harassment and sexual assault portion of this BPP, um, the first one is to restart the Safer School Sexual Assault Task Force, the one that was supervisor um, Jane Kim, and I think the email team, Supervisor Milkar is interested in like rewrite like into email. Yes, um, the to like redo an ordinance, but like amending the original ordinance. They're still working with the city yeah. attorneys. So, anyways, to restart the task force, and then the next recommendation I added to just maintain the actual task force because the issue I would think with the initial one was that it was started and never actually did anything to fulfill its purpose. But I guess I can be like embedded into the first one, and then the next one is um the BLS Public Safety and Neighborhood Services Committee to work with SFUSD to adopt mandatory training for youth education and school site staff on the definition of sexual harassment and assault reporting procedures supporting students and identifying and preventing these crimes and conducting them 
at least once per school year, because I know a lot of these students um, and teachers and just staff members in general, they are receiving this yearly type of training. And then the last recommendation is to gather data on the current state of sexual harassment and assault um, to measure the future effectiveness of the task force, because I think a lot of the issues stemming from the initial one was that we didn't actually have any kind of like tangible or trackable data or trackable stats to what is happening and what is being fixed and what is not. So I think that's a really important aspect as well. Any questions? Yeah. I know I like asked when we had the like resolution, but has there been like any like investigation into like what other school districts have done like in terms of like what they're like, you know, um teaching like in these like trainings and stuff and like what has and hasn't been like effective. Because I feel like this isn't like an issue that like only affects San Francisco. So, yeah. like, like, I don't know what other yeah. like cities. I looked up some of like the other prevention programs and training like programs in other cities and other parts of the U.S. And I think the biggest consensus was that like training needs to be consistent. And a lot of schools they like have a way and they'll have some kind of like protest movement or some kind of social media like situation, and then. It's been like a trend in a lot of intercities. So I think consistency with the training, which is one of the recommendations about having a yearly training with this staff, um, is something that is like a consensus. Thank you. Okay. Any other questions? Okay. Um, moving on to the next slide. Oh yeah, is, is there a general consensus on this one? Sure. Um, the next one is vote 16. So I just want to say that I was kind of disappointed because when I opened this document after the deadline, it was like not completed at all. There was barely anything in it. So I kind of ended up writing the whole thing. Um, so I will be reading the heading in this summary. Uh, grant 16 and 17 year olds the right to vote and the San Francisco Youth Commission urges for rights for 16 and 17 mills to vote in municipal elections. Um, and then the recommendations are place a charter amendment on the ballot to lower the voting age to 16. Also for the California legislators to put a referendum on the ballot to lower the voting age to 16. And then I think staff added this one, post um, another board of supervisors and youth commission joint hearing. Um, which is what we did in the past, right? To gather input on vote 16. And I remember I got a lot of public comment from youth who supported the movement as well. Um, yeah, but that's that's basically what it is. It's pretty similar to all of the BPPs about vote 16 in the past. So pretty basic. Are there any questions? Are there questions from people online? Okay. Seeing none, is there a general consensus on this? Okay. Um, moving on to the next one, which is the mental health one. Uh, I'm not sure if Vanessa, you wanted to read this one, or or Commissioner Tinsel, is it? Yeah. Or Commissioner Tom. Um, I could do either way. Um, can y'all hear me? Yeah. Yeah. 
So the title is Increase Existing Funding for Wellness Centers in San Francisco Public Schools. And the subtitle is Increase Existing Funding for Wellness Programs, Resources, Outreach, and Education in San Francisco Public Schools, including more professional development for school staff on wellness practices and frameworks such as healing center care, youth anchored peer-to-peer -peer counseling. So I got a ton of the... It was really, really hard to find out SFUSD specific data, but we found a lot of like general data throughout like um, basically California and um, old like statistics from like other youth organizations that did like surveying about mental health resources and what is needed in SFUSD schools. We also got a little bit more of a background on like the wellness center initiative um, and also um, the issues that are currently in like um, within like the wellness centers. Um, for example, um, currently, many SFUSD students do not have access to the wellness centers for numerous reasons, and there's like a lack of diverse representation in wellness centers. Um, and what we ended up recommending in the res in the um, BPP is to um, increase funding to hire diverse staff, um, invest in preventative resources, and value student voice and skills as leaders and decision makers. Um, Commissioner Hum, um, do you want to add anything else to this? Okay. Okay. Um, are there any questions or objections? Yeah. I have a question. It says that like currently many SFUSD students do not have access to wellness centers for a number of reasons. Um, and then it goes on to talk about like lack of representation. Like, is, is are you saying that that's the reason? I just wasn't sure if the two are like connected. Or, like, what are the other reasons that people don't have access? Um, I wouldn't say the two are connected. I feel like a lot of students feel like unsafe to actually access those resources within SFUSD schools because um, there's not a lot of like um like diverse representation or culture receptive services coming out from them. So, I mean, like everyone have, everyone has like different like um, perspectives and like um, issues going on in their like family life or like, um, or like, I don't know how to phrase it, but yeah. Okay. So yeah. Kind of like the recommendation that's tied to that would be like basically hiring more diverse staff is like the proposed solution. Yeah, just for like um students to be able to connect to their like people who are within those wellness centers, like like immigrant students have different needs, students of color have different needs. So just like trying to have like more like representation coming out from that. Um, wellness center within that specific school. Any other questions? Okay, seeing none, are there questions from people online? 
Okay, seeing none. Um, do people feel like they can support this one? Okay, great. Um, on to life skills. Uh, that's Commissioner Loftus. Commissioner Loftus, are you ready to present? Um, Commissioner Loftus is having some computer issues. I believe us both, according to your spreadsheet, is both Commissioner Pimentel and Loftus. Yeah, I think it was just that because Pimentel like Yeah, yeah, I can. Um, support. Oh, yeah, Pimentel, did you want to read this? Um, yeah, I could go again. Um, so, um, the title is support the development and implementation of life school programs for youth in San Francisco. And the subtitle is support the development and implementation of life school programs in San Francisco public schools to help students build confidence in communication and cooperative and collaborate skills, find new ways of thinking and problem solving, socialize, make new friends, recognize the impact of their actions and behaviors and prepare for adulthood. So, um, I need to admit it was really difficult to get San Francisco based data about um, life school programs. Um, I was looking through old like B Board of Education resolutions, but also like just like overall data throughout like the United States and California. And I found um, a little bit information. I found information about uh, like apparently um, the SFUSD Board of Education um, implemented an, a career pathway program to allow students to explore the entire high wage, high demand occupations and variety of sectors, but not, but not a lot of the SFUSD schools have access to all the programs that fall within that career pathway program. So uh, a lot of the schools in um, SF have like accessibility to different programs throughout San Francisco. Some schools have home ex, some schools have um, basically science and engineering. Other schools have like um access to programs that um allow them to be involved in like service jobs and so on so um it ha it has like a lot of information of like why these life classes are like important for like youth development growth but also just like um to prepare students for like um what's after high school because I feel like a lot of like students don't really know where to go on where to go next um, and don't have like the necessarily skill sets to like do an interview or like um, drive a car or like do finances and so on and the recommendations we talked about was to expand the link learning model throughout SFUSD by implementing a more robust curriculum, um, increase opportunities for work-based learning, improve learning environments to foster innovation and collaboration, and then 
and integrate targeted assistance for underserved students. Um, I had a question about this one. I just thought it was like kind of vague and there was more, I wouldn't say national data, but there was like more data related to not San Francisco than data that is related to San Francisco. I know you mentioned it was difficult to find data, but for like the recommendation, like increased opportunities for work-based learning, I think that's very big, especially because there are programs in San Francisco that do that, like opportunities for all in my youth. And I think, you know, looking into those would be helpful and even like mentioning funding them more or like increasing staffing for those departments because like OFA did talk to us and they told us that like people were running the whole thing. So I think, you know, we could even mention that in this thing. And I think I also like don't really support, you know, the title life skills. Like it makes sense, but I think we can make this like more broad um, or like, I don't know, just change it so that it encompasses more. Like, I, I don't really know what that would look like yet, but I think, you know, naming specific programs in San Francisco would be very helpful, especially because, like, we know those exist and, like, we, like, met with them. So I think just, like, talking about that and centering the BPP about that. Um, but, yeah, yeah, that, that was basically it. Also, like, improving learning environments to foster innovation and collaboration. I think that's also like very vague. Like it, it, it just reminds me of like a mission statement of a school or something like that. And I think we need to like center the recommendations around actual programs and actual departments that um, you know the the super the board of supervisors could focus and invest their time and energy towards. Sounds good. I'll look into that. Um, that's all good recommendations. Yeah, I couldn't find a lot of like um, San Francisco based data so it would be a good idea to just generalize it a little bit more yeah i feel like it's not really data it's kind of just like what are the programs out there supporting you you know um i think something like yf is also relevant like um commissioner Essing and i talked to them about how um it's like very bureaucratic and the staff is like it, they're also very understaffed and like tired and overworked so they don't have a lot of like time and energy to help youth who are like navigating new grants so I think just like instead of you know looking for like research or data on like life skills and like social emotional learning, you should focus on the existing programs that like do that. You know, like I think it's all about like what you search and like what you already know um, to put in there rather than like looking for specific data. Because I don't know, I feel like if we just like keep waiting on data, this thing is never gonna get like specific and complete. Okay, sounds good. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I agree with a lot of stuff. I'm, I'm also just like curious more because like, I think the pathways program is like a, a really great like thing and that a lot of people may not really even know about it or what schools like offer it. But I, I would hope that like SFUSD like has some like information like about it, like what, what like classes and like, you know, if they want to expand it to like more schools by 2025, we could like put one of our, you know, recommendations to be like ensuring, you know, that that happens and like providing the funding or like support that they need to do that. Because it does sound like a, like a really great um, program. And I, I agree with like some of the stuff, like what is like an improved learning environment? Like, I don't know, because I, I, I feel like I think this is similar to what Emily said for like some of the other points, but you know, it's it's a great idea, but like, what's the action from there? Because like, is better learning environment like 
putting a window in a class that like doesn't have any windows or is it like changing the curriculum? I, I just don't know how you do that. Yeah, I agree because I feel like most of these recommendations are things that the board of supervisors would obviously support, but we kind of just kind of like center it around more specific asks in order for it to be good. Are there any other questions? Um, I'll just add here that I sort of agree with everyone else in person who's talked about this, that I think these are lovely sentiments and I definitely support expanding life skills in school, but just two things. First of all, I think, you know, the, this, this BPP would be a little stronger for just to find what a life skill is and listed examples of it, because that's not really outlined so clearly in the, in, as in the, in the, in the current form. And secondly, I, I agree that some of the wording of these, um, of these recommendations, like improving learning environments to foster innovation and collaboration, um, which is, you know, that's great, but I think that having some more um, specifics about what that means and how we get there is going to be really important because we want we want our BPPs to be at least somewhat actionable. Sounds good. Thank you. Okay, great. Um, any other feedback from people online? Okay. Seeing none. Uh, Voter pre-registration. Yes, so the next BPP is increased voter pre-registration efforts. The subheading is the San Francisco Youth Commission urges the Department of Elections to increase outreach information about pre-registration opportunities to students in schools. The city and county to conduct further research on the effectiveness of current outreach efforts and ways to increase voter pre-registration. The development of a comprehensive plan to implement the goals outlined for Board of Education Resolution 2-2383 and continue funding the Department of Election Youth Voter Outreach. Um, our recommendations include continue funding the Department of Elections Youth Voter Outreach, and this includes multiple programs like High School Voter Education Week, Youthful Worker Opportunities, General Pre-Registration Outreach, and uh, Department of Elections Tours. The second recommendation is to direct the Department of Elections to increase outreach and information about pre-registration opportunities to students in schools to ensure that youth are aware of these youth engagement opportunities. The third is to conduct further research on the effectiveness of current outreach efforts and ways to increase both pre-registration. So this is to ensure that what's happening right now is actually effective. Um, and figuring out how it can be even more effective. And then the last recommendation is to follow up on and support the development of a comprehensive plan to implement the goals outlined in Board of Education Resolution 1-2-2383 and extend lessons on the voting process and political parties to advance placement United States government classes, which some students take in replacement of American democracy classes. And just a little bit of bit of background um, that's mentioned in the BPP is that the Board of Education passed a resolution in like 2016 outlining ways that schools should increase youth voter engagement, like having pre-registration opportunities and classes and specifically American democracy classes and other ways to engage students. And it's very unclear how it, this has been implemented in schools at all. Um, 
if it has, how effective it's been um, in my functions that it has it, because I haven't seen that happen in my classes. And even if it has, it wouldn't, the resolution doesn't say that it would take place in advanced placement classes. Um, and so students who aren't taking American democracy wouldn't experience the pre-registration opportunities. Great. Are there any questions? Yeah, I, I really um, think this is like a, it's very well uh, put together. Like, I think this one kind of like pivoted at the last moment. So it still has a lot of um, good data and I really appreciate that. And it mentions like the, um, the Department of Elections, um, like outreach programs. And uh, they have like a high school with the ambassador program um, that I participated in. I, I think as well as the commissioner's office, like might have been last spring, it was a while ago. But um, I don't know, it, it wasn't like a really a paid like thing. So I think like something as the youth commission, like just in order to like, you know, promote more like youth to do it and like, you know, compensate people for their time because, you know, some people, you know, if they're not being compensated for it, it means that they're like not able to participate. So just from like an equity perspective as well, I think it would be really great if we could encourage them to, you know, like, these people who are currently volunteers, at least like a, a stipend similar to like the workers, and like encourage the city to fund that. That's a great. Um, did you have any ideas on like what you as a youth consider an adequate stipend to be? Just out of curiosity. Um, I think maybe the whole program was maybe like depending on what you did, it was like five to 10 hours of work. So maybe a stipend of a hundred dollars would be reasonable. Do people online have comments? Not anyone else? Okay, well, it's right getting this one done so quickly because I, I know we just did it in so you can so, um, okay, moving on to the next one, the LGBTQ plus safety Yes. So, um, this came through my communication with Lyric, the Lambda Youth Recreation Information Center, uh, which is one of the first LGBTQ plus community organizations, community service organizations, um, specifically for youth. And um, basically what I learned in talking to them was that they've had multiple bomb threats and other, they've had multiple bomb threats in the last year. Um, they have an incredible amount of online um, harassment and also like specific threats as well online that sort of really impacted their ability to do their work and do it in a way that, um, you know, they, they feel to keep everyone, including the youth, their state. So um, they have organized a bunch of other community organizations, career serving youth community organizations, um, to, to ask for funding from the city to allow them to increase security infrastructure, to allow them to um, hire people to kind of coordinate between them um, and to make sure that they're getting the funding that they need to keep people safe as they utilize their services. Um, right now, they're sort of under attack from the horizon of national um, 
right wing attacks and being sort of the victim of a lot of hateful rhetoric and it has a pretty real impact on that's immediately served as Sarah's system. Um, so is the San Francisco LGBTQIA coalition not safety money request? The San Francisco Youth Commission urges for funding allocation to protect communities and those serving youth for youth and assist them in their security needs. And then the recommendation for this one is um, to support and grant the LGBTQIA coalition on safety's funding request, including um, this is a proposed budget breakdown, although it'll be adjusted obviously. Um, the engagement with the city. Um, yeah. Great. Any questions or objections? Yes. I don't know. I'm sorry. I just uh, like um, what what's like the idea behind like the community ambassadors? Because I I read it and it says support ongoing safety and risk assessment. So what what's like? Is it like community ambassadors, like the one on Market Street, that like, or like they would just like stand like kind of around the building, or like are these people like doing like assessments of like? I just don't really understand what the point is. Where you're reading that? Can you? And I'm reading it on this page. Um, oh, where it says um, hiring community ambassadors to support ongoing safety and risk assessments. Yeah. So. My understanding of that is that it's not like people walking down the street. It's not like that. It's people who can help coordinate between these community organizations. Um, basically, like funding how they can work together and see what's working for them. How people One of the things that they were talking about, and I think I can follow up and I'm gonna clarify that for you or for everyone. Um, one of the things they were talking about was they have this sort of ragtag team at the moment that. Um, is really helpful for each other, but they sort of need some sort of uh, just a better way. Yeah, I think I understand. I was just like more like confused. I'm like, like if they were like the people like standing out on Market Street, I'm like, oh, is that really? No, I mean, I think it, they, they may have some role in like connecting with other. Like you could imagine that they're one of the with their neighbors and yeah. that kind of stuff. But uh, I don't think they'd be walking out on the street. So that's not fair. Like. Great. Any other questions? Uh, seeing none, the next one is the LGBTQ plus group. Okay, I'm going to talk about this one, but um, just to like, clarify, I went to make this to read this. Um, it's actually someone who's like non-duty commission on the very early LGBTQ. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so, but like, uh, I might not be able to answer like, all questions, so I'm going to try to Anyway, um, yeah, it's pretty much about creating more comprehensive LGBTQ functions sexual health curriculum. Um, and I sent you a C-school because, like, we know it's a professional research, so, like, like a spent um that like the health curriculums um aren't like the most comprehensive when it comes to LGBTQ plus and like overall sexual health um like topics, especially like in the middle school health curriculum and like middle school health in general, which is what like this EPP focuses on. Um and like the three main areas in this EPP 
is about is like middle school health teachers and having them to get actual health credentials because according to like interviews with current middle school and some of the health teachers a lot or like people who work within like the health classes department um a lot of teachers aren't actually health teachers or they don't have health credentials um which like leads to like a lack of like um like, I don't know, like a solid health or health education for middle schoolers um, in SFUSD and, and also like for the middle school health curriculum, like there's not much about LGBTQ plus people at all, even though like middle school is teenagers and the whole is like a very important time. But a lot of other communities are discovering that they are LGBTQ plus. Um, and the last thing that this really highlights is just like, like doing a health curriculum pilot program with like, um, like a pilot to having, um, like more like the health curriculum covering more LGBTQ plus issues in middle school, and like doing a pilot like in an SMB middle school just to see how that how that could look like, um, like getting teacher feedback. Great. Are there any questions or suggestions? Okay. Uh, is there anything from people online? If not, I think we can move forward with the uh, same spaces and resource accessibility. Who's the main office producer? Um, I think I'm ready. Uh, okay. uh, Commissioner Kamitha, are you able to share? You want to just do it? Okay. Um, yeah, I can, I guess. Um, yeah, so this basically is about um, like spaces and resource accessibility in schools on the LGBTQ students. Um, so like in the background, it just talks about like the importance of it, like how there's like a lot of LGBTQ plus harassment, like LGBTQ plus legislation, and having those safe spaces and like resources for LGBTQ plus students to really like, um, like minimize like the effect of LGBTQ plus harassment and also just have less LGBTQ plus harassment because they don't know that like it's okay to be LGBTQ plus. Um, and also just talked about the existing support services in SRT Um, and then the recommendations for the school is um, like this creating safe spaces, like for LGBTQ plus youth to meet other LGBTQ plus youth um, in schools, and, like learning their skills and, and like the allies, and then also connect with other LGBTQ plus organizations. In San Francisco, that do work with LGBTQ plus youth, like the Literary and LGBTQ Center, which is like school clubs, school outreach um, to LGBTQ plus youth. And like, so they can form clubs and also have like more school based resources for LGBTQ plus youth. Um, and assess school projects guided through strategies, which has been like this school climate survey by the Gay Lesbian Straight Education Center, with um, like did surveys with LGBTQ plus youth on how safe they can and we can like utilize the survey and figure out what specifically needs improving and what LGBTQ plus youth need to certain companies. 
Uh, I had a question about concern. I know you have a comment on the doc that said you want to expand like what safe spaces could look like in their recommendations. Um, do you have like any ideas at the moment? Just because like safe spaces is a little bit broad. Yeah, definitely. I think like one of the main things I guess um, um, like for safe spaces is just like um, I think it could it honestly connects with like 22 in the recommendation, but just having clubs or affinity spaces for LGBTQ plus youth in schools um, that like are either established by students or established by LGBTQ plus organizations that like focus on um, just like creating affinity with LGBTQ plus um, and like making these like resources known. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely agree. I just don't know, like, because I think the board of supervisors can definitely like help fund these kind of organizations and like something like the the lyric thing, like that. That's like a concrete ask. But I think like I don't really know what their role would be in like creating these safe spaces. So I would like either combine the first recommendation with the second because like the second is more specific, or just like um, get rid of the first recommendation because like. They, they, they can like obviously like encourage people to have those spaces, but they can't like take direct action in the way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, overall, I think it's really good. Yeah. Just, I don't know, for number three, is it cut off? I don't know. I mean, other school employees, e.g., cafeteria waiters, bus driver security, they know to cut off. understand what that means. Okay, I'm going to hand the gavel to Vice Chair Barbara Fuller because I think he's in the bathroom. <laughs> oh, no, that's it. Um, I didn't write that recommendation, so I don't really know what that means. For three. Um, For number three. So I can't really answer that question. Okay. Is it like the sexist that just like dogs cut off or something? So, so may have. Is this the safe spaces for? Yeah. There's just a period after Mayville capacity. Is there a period? Yeah. Oh. Oh. On the dock. Oh. That's the most updated one on oh. the dock, too. Um, you can add too much. Maybe offline. Do y'all want to? Okay. Commissioner Pimentel, are you on? Public comment. Is there any public comment on the budget apology proposal? Uh, Vice Chair Barker Plum, you have no public comment. Thank you for letting me know about that. That's so good. Then we'll move to item nine committee reports. What's the discussion of the Okay. Um, verbal vote. Verbal vote. All those in? No. Um, you can't. We'll take a roll call vote on the move to table this item. Do we have a second? Seconded. Seconded. Okay.
Roll. Yeah. Okay. Um, on that motion, uh, or Commissioner Wong. Aye. Commissioner Wong, aye. Commissioner Dare. Aye. Commissioner Dare, aye. Commissioner Loftus. Aye. Commissioner Loftus, aye. Commissioner Miller. Aye. Aye. Commissioner Miller, aye. Officer Lasana. Aye. Officer Lasana, aye. Commissioner Anish. Hear me? Yes. Oh my God. Thank you. Okay. Aye. Commissioner Anish, aye. Dr. Udding? Aye. Dr. Udding, aye. Commissioner Colleen? Aye. Commissioner Colleen, aye. Commissioner Pimentel? Aye. Commissioner Pimentel, aye. Vice Chair Barker Plummer? Aye. Vice Chair Barker Plummer, aye. Officer Hum? Aye. Officer Hum, aye. Officer Shaw? Aye. Officer Shaw, aye. Commissioner M? Aye. Commissioner M, aye. Commissioner Hillman? Aye. Commissioner Hillman, aye. Chair Wynn? Aye. Chair Wynn, aye. Okay, Chair, you have 15 ayes. Thank you. Um, I'll go ahead and hand it back. Now we're back to Great. Uh, staff, can you please call item number nine? Ten. Ten. Item number ten is staff reports. Um, basically, our next meeting will be fully um, in person with remote access to only public comment. Um, so please be prepared to be here for our next meeting. Oh, and for committees as well, starting March 1st. Okay. Um, I will be, I'm working with Commissioner Shaw to um, make sure that, that any resolutions you are interested in pushing forward to the Board of Supervisors, there's is So um, please talk to Commissioner Shaw if you have, if you pass a resolution and you are interested in pushing that forward. Um, the only question that I have for y'all is, so I have two dates for the new budget town hall. Um, it is April. Six. April 6th, which is a Thursday mm -hmm. or April 12th, which is a Wednesday. Mm -hmm. um, so I wanted to know what feedback from y'all, what date you prefer. April 6th. For the youth budget town hall. April 6th. Yay. <laughs> that wasn't a full consensus, but okay. So there's Thursday, April 6th, or Wednesday, April 12th. Today. I'm going offline poll. Yeah, I'm planning a surprise for you. Okay, can we like continue? Sorry, it's late. It's Can you just send like I don't know email people will reply to it or something? Or yeah. ask <laughs> folks at exact or text. Yeah, just text the exact. Oh, individually. Just check in with exact individual. I'll send an email. I'll send an email. Please respond to it by like tomorrow. I'm gonna send it tonight. Okay. Okay, and then I'm gonna also send out the newsletter with the C C survey method. Yes. Wait, are you? Oh, number two. Yes. 
Uh, I just had a question because I know we had the like shared spaces preferred legislation, like, um, mm -hmm. I guess that was 2 weeks ago. And then the, the board of supervisors, I think was last Tuesday, but I don't think the memo was ever sent to them because it's still not on the legislature for that file. So I don't think they ever saw it. I don't know if that was the board of supervisors end or your guys end, but it's just kind of like after we spent all the time on that. It's kind of disappointing to not have it. Do we send them a memo? The resolution? No, did we send them a memo on the referred legislation? Yeah, we did, we did send a memo. When did you send them? Last week. Like after Tuesday? Yeah, it was definitely after Tuesday. It was on Thursday, I believe. So after the legislation, it's is there a reason why there was a delay? Yes. So basically, um, what happens is the BOS will not look at my emails if I send like five million of them, and so I have to do like every two days, so they don't complain to my boss about us sending a lot of emails to them. So was there? Oh, so you like schedule the memos? Yeah. But could you schedule them like before the meetings? Or would that like not work out because we have too many like pieces of workers legislation? I can do my best to send them like days before, but I don't know how effective that would be. Well, they're not effective at all really after the back yeah. kind of the issue. Well, I would suggest timing your resolutions better for weeks in advance I, so they I can do something that. about it. Sorry. I had requested it five weeks before the meeting it was heard at, so I can't really. I, this is why I want to have this like be a thing that we can do at committee so we don't have these issues. But no, thank you for your feedback. Um, staff will work with y'all diligently to have you know those memos out so advocacy could be properly done. However, you can also walk into your board of supervisors office if you want and like email them individually too that you would like to request a meeting with them. Um, but yes, we will work with the LAOs to also make that a more effective process. Is that part of their responsibility? I thought they were more like, okay, we can just go on. Oh, break our record. Should we say three more records? Emily, we still. Okay, great. Staff, uh, is there any public comment on this item of the agenda? There's no public comment. Great. Staff, can you please call item number 11? Item number 11 is announcements. Okay. Does anyone have any announcements? Oh, yeah, the central crew and panel <laughs> that I'm on. Yeah, you're actually come. Okay. Oh, yeah. I don't think they're meeting us public. Yeah, I've also advertised it. Oh, okay. But anything else? Oh, yeah, the inner sunset thing is on the 27th. Yeah. I think HRT is going to go to that because we need their meeting for that. Uh, other than that, oh, that wasn't okay. Anything else? 
Okay. Uh, seeing none. Staff, can you please call item number twelve? Item number twelve is adjournment. Okay. Meeting is adjourned at back and forth. No, we're not. We're like one minute. Oh. Oh.